muggles and people of Middle-earth, thanks for finding us again. This is episode four. I'm Jimmy. I'm Anna. I'm Stuart. I'm Ronaldo. I'm Ben. And this is Movie Show Theater, and today, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Harry Potter, and the Sorcerer's Stone. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. This is Movie Show Theater. Undertaking. So before we jump in, I want to just say a couple things. One, uh, one of my oldest and dearest friends, Ray, is here, and it is the story of what we are talking about today that that brings him here. And it's Anna's first podcast. Feeling good? Feeling really good. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So we can jump back and forth. We can talk about the books or the movies or. Um, Whatever pops into your mind, uh, this is the biggest uh, crew we've had yet, too. So what about Harry Potter fan fiction? Can we talk about that? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I was such a nerd, actually, when Harry Potter was so popular and I was younger, much younger, whole whole bunch younger. I actually made, I spent the better part, 90% of a summer, making a website, a fan fiction website, where you could actually enroll at Hogwarts you could go down to Diagon Alley and buy your supplies. What was your website? I might have visited it. No, it never actually launched. Oh. After spending the entire summer doing it, I lost like some passwords. It was back in like Easy Pages or X Pages or something. Yahoo Geo Not Cities. triple X Pages. Geo but Cities. Cities. Yes, exactly. Did it was you post it on your live journal? <laughs> no, it was pre-Ledger. Don't hate, I was it like was the biggest MuggleNet reader ever. Yeah. So a I have a... Was legit. It is, and it is a still legitimate website. They really? still update it's like a big thing they do podcasts all on harry potter and like what jk rowling's up to these days so it's would you say it's, it's more thing. would you say it's more expansive than the space jam website <laughs> yes when it first launched it was about like the space jam website and it was just like probably like 300 nerds all over the country just yeah. like ah, i love it i think you can only open it under uh internet explorer netscape netscape there you go well, I mean, Escape Navigator. Fifty Shades of Grey was Twilight fan fiction, so keep on writing out there, folks. And you, can, you can you can be something Bones, someday. Is that Bones actually? was actually yeah. a Harry no. Potter fan fiction to yes. start with. Oh, that's good. Cool. Yes. City of Bones originally started as a Harry Potter fan fiction on fanfiction.net. What did? The City of Bones saga. Oh, really? Yeah, and so and she changed oh, wow. some stuff around. Cassandra Clare, and I I've never read the books personally, but I know the like internet rumors and the. The drama that came from her getting her own book deal, which was essentially a piggyback off of J.K. Rowling. So mm-hmm. there have been a lot of people who have piggybacked off J.K. Rowling. Yeah, let's, let's be I mean, very, let's be real. very honest with ourselves. Let's be real. That her empire that she's built on children's novels is basically or young adult novels because they appeal to just about everybody. But I mean, let's be honest. Without Rowling, we wouldn't have you know Hunger Games or any of the other Mm-mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Novels that have come out in the past fifteen years. Well, well think about the hand that it played with, like uh, getting kids excited about reading who had this imagination, who obviously that's, knew how to read. That's the biggest thing, right there. And you can you make fun of her empire. You but were able to. You were able to approach a book with your child 
and it was very readable to begin with for the mm-hmm. kid, regardless of the subject matter. And as the books progressed, they got more complex, more, you know, more uh, plot was a lot bigger. There was a lot deeper. It was a lot darker in some sense. Just more essence. advanced overall. But, it just, but it's basically a primer on how to read. Mm-hmm. Right straight through. So, and you grow up with the books. You know, if you started like myself and probably like Ray, when you started as a kid, you grew up with the books. You grew up with Harry. You grew up with the story. So Absolutely, I was yeah. probably nineteen or twenty yeah, when the final book one. came out. What so, and the movie. And so, in the movie, when it came out in one, I was twelve, which was perfect. And at that point, yeah. I hadn't read a Harry Potter book yet. So I walked. I had never read them. I walked into the movie and I was just ensnared. Wow. I was like, it was. I literally made my sister take me to Walmart after to buy the book because I was like, what have I been missing? Sure. And it had, that was right when it was gaining steam because I you know, grew up in a secluded place in the middle of nowhere. So we didn't really get the exposure that a lot of kids did. We had like a two-place like two movie theater that was basically an old garage. So they, like, just to see that, the music, all of that, like the movie is something that I will remember for the rest of my life, seeing it for the first time, and I've seen it probably, a, probably a couple hundred times since then. You know, I fall asleep to it every night, and I read, you know, I just ripped through all the books, and so I have a lot, and it's I've seen it so many times, so yeah. I, I feel like well, I know you that have those backwards. emotional ties too. Yeah, I was the same way with the Lord of the Rings films because I saw Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers, and obviously I knew at that point that they were books so I was like well I am really into this I want to see what's going on so I ended up reading all three of the books before I saw Return of the King it's like oh now there are a lot of things I understand a lot better because whether it's Harry Potter whether it's Lord of the Rings when you have a fantasy universe galaxy whatever you want to call it there's usually a huge backstory that's not always going to translate onto film so it's always good to read the novels um with Harry Potter, this is probably going to sound strange to a lot of people out there, but this was the first time I've watched Harry Potter film this morning, literally. About two and a half hours ago. About yeah. two and a half hours ago. You're a very bad person, Ben. Yes, I'm a very bad person. Well, and maybe it's just a, a difference in taste because when I was 12, I was reading like Clive Barker and H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King, so some of the fantasy stuff Name really didn't appeal, didn't really appeal to me. But Oh, you fancy, huh? But I would say now, after watching the Harry Potter film, which I thought... I thought I was I think maybe I was brought into this podcast to be the villain I thought it was alright the film I think there were some things from what Anna explained that didn't translate from the book to the film so well because she had to fill me in on a couple things well and that's kind of the double edged you know uh, blade is that because I haven't read the Harry Potter books and I haven't read the Lord of the Rings books I do know how to read and I do enjoy reading (laughs) that's a lie are you I, sure? I can't read. I'm illegitimate. What does this paper say? <laughs> illegitimate. <laughs> little yes. literacy humor and for you. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. yeah. But so, you know, I watch these movies. You know, Anna, you know, read the Lord of the Rings books, and then she goes to see the movie, and she has this, you know, built-in standard or expectation that it's got to meet. And let's be honest, it's never as good as the book. The book is always better. Well, I will say that Lord of the Rings is one of the few where the expectations were actually almost met in a lot of ways. There were, mm-hmm. Stuff was cut out of Lord of the Rings, like Tom Bombadil, and there are, you know, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, right. you know, the way that the hobbits grow, and but that's getting into the later books. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. for the most part, Peter Jackson really exceeded everybody's expectations. He, he because absolutely, I'm sorry to interrupt, he no. absolutely nailed the what I envisioned as the Shire 
and that world. I mean, Seriously, visually speaking, yeah. he nailed it. And and I think that he tried to go back to some of the original artwork from the original publications of The Lord of the Rings to gain a little perspective and to, to gain a little guidance in how the design should go. But they nailed it. Mm-hmm. They absolutely nailed the look and the feel of that world and everything else. There was a whole animated series for Lord there was, of the Rings. Well, yeah, that was from the 70s. Yeah. Well, it was a, there was a whole symphony written for it before yeah. the books, ever, and, like, before the movies ever came out. The, the problem, though, that you go back to some of those and you look at that now and it is... <laughs> drinking problem? We're spilling beer here right. at the. Uh... This isn't video. You didn't have to tell anyone. That's right. You can't hear that. You can't hear that. Ray, Ray's got a hole in his you, lip, but you that's can't okay. Hear Ray uh, I was just riveted and couldn't I, look down. Anyway, so the it, the '70s animated films are so cheesy and horrible, mm-hmm. but they like they also have a Disney. It, it's not even close. I mean, it's not even. It's D minus Disney. It's what Disney would have done had he been, uh, you know, poor and not just poor, but had he, you know, enrolled talent from. A kindergarten class, or something. <laughs> but no, it's it's the seventies films though have a certain feel, and if you've seen any of the animation that came out of that time, that was called that was considered counterculture, mm-hmm. like heavy metal or wizards or any of those films that were kind of out there. The Lord of the Rings films or The Hobbit in particular from that time, really that was the style. I mean, that was that counterculture kind of style for that the animation, and. It's so bad to tell this particular story, and I was so afraid that when Peter Jackson started doing the, the, these films, that he was going to again try and re envision it in his own way. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for everybody, I think that what he what he ended up doing was utilizing what he could with the new technology and whatnot, and then really transforming a place into Middle Earth. Yeah. And putting it there. Just one country. Just one country. Just one single... Well, New Zealand, it, it, it is gorgeous there anyway, obviously. Yeah. I mean, just But he from just took New Zealand and made it Middle Earth. He made it Middle Earth, and it, it, it just became... Um, it, it, without that one set piece, without that one... Uh, without that ability to actually put us there, the rest of it would have been completely useless, regardless yeah. of how good the performances was, were, regardless of what you know, actors you put in there, regardless of uh, any other story changes you might have made. Mm-hmm. You had to set the, the tone, the steam for all of this to happen. Absolutely. The environment, the atmosphere. It had to be right. Well, And from the very opening scene, he nails beautiful. it. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Throughout it's, the whole time, you're literally just... Beautiful. Every sweeping like, yes, shot of the mountains, it's, and you're like, it's grandiose, and it's it's. it's Plus, it was it was such a huge risk on the studio's part because you have Peter Jackson, who is known more for horror films, right? You know, like <laughs> Bad Taste, yeah. Dead Alive, The Frighteners. It's like, okay, so we're going to give you how much money to uh, basically create the visuals for a classic series of fantasy novels, and this is a difference between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings because the movies came out. Um, relatively soon after the after Harry Potter, Potter right? With Lord of the Rings, you have a huge sense like of nostalgia for a lot of viewers. Yeah, it's the late 1960s when the you know when the the, the trilogies came out, and it, you know, it's interesting to me that he was able to 
get it. He I know. got it. I imagine him just begging on the floor of the executive's <coughs> office, like, please let me do this movie. Not just that, but yeah. I because mean, yeah. he has the Frighteners behind him. And yeah, like, the Frighteners, sure which in and of itself is an okay film. They probably didn't watch Bad Taste, these executives. Oh. They'd be like, oh, hell no. But, but, uh, but the influencers are there. The Ring Race, basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, in my mind, when I watch the Frighteners, the, the well, main yeah. antagonist, it's like, that's a Ring Race. Well, you can tell it's his style. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. is. It's it's his his prior style, films, you can tell. Yeah. Like, he expanded what you might call his visual palette, but for the most part, like, especially, like, the horror elements, you can say, yes, that that's Peter Jackson. That freaking yeah. demon in the cave. The Baltock, is that what it was called? Uh, Balk. What was the name of it with the, the demon? Balrog. 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 Yeah. I can't remember. We yeah, watched it no, last no, night. Balrog, but yeah. Watching it again and seeing it as an adult, like, the Balrog that is freaking scary. Yeah, the Balrog yeah. is one of the most horrific characters in... The, the series altogether. I would argue I mean, it is, that spider is the worst. No, no, the spider... <laughs> okay, the spider for some people She's is a worst. little more scary, but the Balrog <laughs> itself is a being of pure malice. It's just evil. A being True. of pure... Flat out evil. Even yeah, the, the, goblins, goblins, the, goblins the goblins are, are bad. Yeah. Yeah. The goblins, the goblins are, are bad. The, yeah. the cave trolls are, meh, you know, just big dumb babies with clubs, basically, right? But a fire whip is something. But else you yeah. bring this Balrog up, mm-hmm. holy cow! It's basically the devil incarnate. Like it's, it's it a shit essentially... your pants moment when that thing comes out of that. It basically breaks its way free of the tunnel and yeah. then comes out. That was one thing that, as I was reading, and I'm considerably older than all of you, but as I was reading these for the first time, I envisioned something so horrific. And, and again, Peter Jackson freaking nailed it. Mm-hmm. He nailed it. This this being of pure fire and darkness. The juxtaposition of the fire and the darkness to, together. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. It's unbelievable how he managed to do, how his team managed to take this creature, this idea of a creature, and then really realize it on the screen. Mm-hmm. And you have Make goblins, it look real. Goblins crawling up columns to get away from the it. Crawling up the walls, so literally. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of like, they drop their weapons. Like, we don't care away. about killing, you know, this fellowship anymore because we're about ready to get killed by this thing. Because it just... Well, and what, what they've managed to do by creating something so horrific is they made the most memorable part of that entire movie. Oh, without a doubt. You shall oh, not pass. Yeah. Like, oh, how many times do you hear that Randomly throughout your life now. Right. Actually, if you know what I, I used to before is. before I moved into my new position, I used to quite a bit in my classroom. Yeah, <laughs> you shall not pass. Just the best. I would say that's even the most probably the most memorable moment from the entire trilogy of Lord that's of the Rings. Fair. Because it's, that's it's up there definitely. It's yeah. up, because it gets you emotionally because there goes Gandalf and you don't find if you never read the books you don't find out until the two towers that he actually mm. comes back. Mm. But it's... Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> if you don't know this at this point, you're living under a rock. <laughs> exactly. I don't know you have this podcast, but I'm impressed. Just click unsubscribe and we'll unsubscribe, see Unsubscribe, yeah. Some people don't that, know but... what happens at the end of Harry Potter, and I'm like proud of them for not knowing, but that was just a few years ago. Yeah, right? If you don't right, know right, what right, happens right. to Gandalf the Grey, <laughs> I am impressed that you have found this podcast. So that's You went down the wrong hole. Yeah, you are. So I feel like that's a really interesting distinction as far as Harry Potter, the first one, and Fellowship of the Ring as just being like a standalone cinematic experience because, you know, the people who read the book are just waiting for that scene to see. Let's see how they envision it. Let's see what they did with it. And me, I had no idea. Everything is a complete surprise. I don't have any expectations. I don't, you know, I know it as a, you know, a, a, a... very well respected and very, 
you know, uh, relevant. Well, not that relevant. I mean, it's not relevant by. Well, I mean, it's it's a period piece, you know. What are you talking about? Lord, Lord of the Rings. Rings. Yeah. Actually, without the Lord of the Rings, and I'm gonna go all full Lord nerd on us here. Without the Lord of the Rings, you wouldn't have hardly any of the modern fantasy series that you have now. Dark Tower, Game of Thrones, Dark Tower. Yeah. I mean, you name it. Without the Lord of the Rings Rose, opening, depending on how. Oh, no, you're ex- well. Uh, no, the Dune what, series. What, Oh, the Dune series that came out actually kind of... a little bit. Well, the the more recent Dune series by Brian Herbert, maybe, but the original was written about the same time as 1965. Dune came out. Okay? So what you're saying is this is the birth of this modern is the fantasy birth, fiction. This was the recreation of the fantasy genre. Thank God. And as a result of that, I mean, you think about it. Game of Thrones, another one, wouldn't have Game of Thrones. All of that, the what. Lord of the Rings created was Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. True. Role playing. It was a guy who, you know, Amgard. Amgard. Kids running around in fields with exactly. plastic swords. It was the begin. It was the beginning it was of. Video? It was yeah. the beginning Lord of, of the, Rings, that the video game. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's 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 and video games and everything else. Without the Lord of the Rings, none of these things would have been imagined necessarily. Well, here's the they it had and tried and failed with glory uh like Reign of Fire mm. and Dungeons and Dragons are the two terrible movies. movies that I can Oh think god. Of. Oh jeez, yeah. No, they're awful. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were films. before Marlon Marlon Wayans. Wayans. Well, no, no, no. Uh, no, oh, are we talking about the movies or are we talking about the books? We're, though? I'm talking about the movies. Oh, Reign of Fire. Movies are terrible. Oh, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Okay, I got gotcha, you. I but gotcha. I would say what I I think Especially even with the Lord of the Rings movies, is they've shown you, they've shown audiences what can be done with enough time and with enough, I mean, money, yes, but time and dedication to a series because Lord of the Rings showed you, we were talking about this when we were watching Harry Potter, especially with special effects. The Harry Potter Sorcerer's Stone special effects do not even hold a candle to the Lord of the Rings. Fellowship the, special the, effects. But they used a lot of the same techniques. The CGI in the Sorcerer's Stone is, is pretty bad. It's laughable compared to Lord of the Rings because you have, you know, I mean, and a lot of the Lord of the Rings, I have to give major props to the makeup artists because oh, geez, yeah. they created some of the most horrific monsters. The practical monsters. effects the pr- in some yeah, exactly. of that are just right. But they showed you what you can do and they showed, because you've got armies of, of you know, Yurikai and orcs and all these nasty looking things. And yeah, I mean, even like the, the dwarves, you're like, oh, what the hell? You know, well, you know that goes back to Peter Jackson, though, because of his background in horror and not having a huge budget, he knows about makeup and getting the right people, you know? Yeah. If you watch um, Bad Taste or Dead Alive, you know, that was before the time of CGI, but then at the same time, you realize nobody was throwing millions of dollars at those specific films. So he, he has a more practical works. knowledge base um, that's pre-CGI. So when you mix those two things together, it works. Whereas with Harry Potter, this is one comment I made. You know, um, there's a part where the centaur comes along and Voldemort is drinking unicorn blood. Was that the most yeah. awesome sentence of all time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to sing myself. Yeah, that follow. Unicorn blood. Uh, the, the, like I just saw a halo pop over your head. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's like a flashpoint or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but the centaur is totally CGI, and my frame of reference was, you know, um, 
Chronicles of Narnia film where they have a centaur who's kind better. of half CGI, half oh, makeup, yeah. and it works better that way. Sometimes if you go full CGI in films, it just looks so fake. You're like, I know there's suspension of disbelief, but I can tell that they programmed all this in and it doesn't look good. The, yeah, the yeah. centaur could have been better. And they don't really ever touch on that in the later Harry Potter movies that the mm-hmm. centaurs play a bigger role. They Actually, do a in the books, in Actually, in the books, they play Bane a much... is like a big deal. Yeah. He's yeah. a big... He's a huge He's a teacher. Deal. He ends up being yeah. a teacher in the... In the in Which is like a huge thing. And right. that, well, what you were saying is that Lord of the Rings created... Showed authors what was possible in terms of creating a universe that did not already Absolutely. exist because he's gone further in depth than you know creating languages and maps and worlds and the, that yeah. we've never experienced Lord before. Of Lord of the Rings, oh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty so much a Silmarillion. Yeah, it's literally, it's a history. It's a, basically a bible. It's, it's the story it's, of creation for Middle Earth. Which they is have incredible. the creation story. Middle Earth, for those that don't know, was actually sung into existence by the Valar. It was literally sung into existence. That's incredible. The light, the great ivory uh, mountain, rip, like it was all sung into creation. You can take That's college incredible. courses on Elvish. Literally, they actually yeah. So like the, here's an author who can do anything, <laughs> who, who shows you you can do anything, and I think that really did. I mean, Tolkien's Rowling has had to say, you know, they, she's had to defend herself a lot against you know Lord of the Rings because people see two fantasy things and they're like, oh, they must be the same. And they are very different, but you can... She's talked about, you know, how he's been an important author and how he's done so much for the world of literature, especially modern fantasy literature, because she... And that this is something that the movies don't even touch on in Harry Potter, is how far her plots go. They never explain things. So much deeper. Especially as you go on. So, you know, you see Sorcerer's Stone, and you see this is a fun movie for kids about magic. And it is, but there's also stuff that happens in that movie that becomes important in the eighth movie, the seventh part two. And they never, what sucks about having those different directors is they never explain that shit to you. I think a big problem, oh. though, too, is the difference between Lord of the Rings. You go into Lord director. of the Rings, no, well, that, mm. but even if it were multiple director, I mean, the big thing is Lord of the Rings was fully completed. The books were One, completed. Yeah, the story was completed decades they earlier. They were able to take Harry the Potter, entire yeah. story, break it up, and nobody work it knew the way they on the yeah. production team of Harry Potter. Nobody knew world. how the story was going to end. One person in the whole it world wasn't written, knew, and it was right. Steve Cloves, the screenplay writer for Harry Potter. He was the only person who knew Snape's final destiny when it was going to happen to Dumbledore. He was the only person that because she, she had to tell him because he would ask her questions like, "Can I do this with a character?" I've in, that. That's so Can I do this with a character in Prisoner of Azkaban? She's like, "No, you can't because that's totally out of canon. Like you yeah. cannot." Put that in there, and he was like, "Well, can you explain why?" So she would have to tell him a little bit because she had a big blueprint of everything that she was doing. How would you like to have been that guy? At oh that my moment? god! I could you imagine the pressure? I can't do anything. I can't. You know what? I'm leaving. I don't ask me any questions. So Steve Cloves knew from the very end what to put in there. So, and it kind of makes me mad that he didn't put in little like like little Easter eggs for the big fans, like. You know, and I don't want to get too bookish because I get like that's real nerdy about it. But that's that's liability. Maybe, he, but like even the things do. that she mentions in the book, like seeing the lost diadem of Ravenclaw, Harry sees that in oh, the, 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 the um, book, yeah. yeah in uh, the Room of Requirement yeah. long before. And then when they're looking for that stupid crown in the back, seventh book, he's then I'm like, oh my god, it is the totally diadem. on that that yeah. busted up the bust of a woman right. in the Room of Requirement. You, you remember that when you were reading? Yes, I did because I am diehard. But. Like, they don't, like, if he had just shown, yeah, that too. If he had just shown him, like, seeing that crown at some point, because, you know, like, and I'm like, oh, because she told you in this, what is it, the second book? Third, no. When did they find the room of requirement? When did he was, hide? Uh, that was, 
third third book, fourth book. book? Yeah, third it was a little book. bit no, later. No, it was third book. Fourth, yeah, fourth. Fourth. When he yeah. has yeah. to yeah. hike something, I think it's when they're in that fortress of solitude. You know what? You just back off, Ben. <laughs> you don't know shit. She's in her nerd world. Me and Ben are making jokes. But what I'm saying Jimmy is, Lord of the Rings had that major advantage. Having, oh yeah, having, having been them finish, having and not having to age children in the process too. You know. Because you know what, working with child actors, you have Everybody's people that are adult. already grown elves up. Elves never age. Yeah, yeah elves never age. something we were talking about earlier. Lord, well, Legolas definitely aged, yeah, aged yeah, in The Hobbit. Oh, we're not going to go there. We won't go there. So I think one of the interesting <laughs> things about talking about these two movies specifically, not the franchises that follow, although we can side tangent, obviously. We are but, going to. Right, and we already have. But So they both came out in one. They both had the same... You know, resources as far as effects goes, technologies right. goes. You know, Lord of the Rings. It's it's all a history lesson. It's all a period piece. It's all thousands and thousands of years ago. And I find it really interesting that with Harry Potter, you know, when they're in the real world, the Muggle world, there are certain things that you can see that date that period. You know, whether the cars. It be like clothes or cars or whatever. And then when they go back, but when either. they go to Hogwarts. The technologies, and like in Diagon's Alley, it's like old-fashioned technologies, like the little minecart that they take in Green Gods. But again, that that is the mesh between the quote-unquote muggle world and the magical world. It's taking bits from the the non-magical world and incorporating it into that society, which is what the magic which is what the magic community has been doing all along in order mm-hmm. to fit in, in right, order to right. blend in, disappear, with not necessarily with just with, with magic, but without it as well. So that's, I mean, the a very idea that a community like that could exist for as long as it has and not be widely known. Forever. Forever. And not be Founders widely known. It, 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 it's absolutely a phenomenal thing. I mean, it, and that's the genius of Rowling in this case. Because she really has envisioned a true alternate reality that, given the right circumstances, would be cool. It would be mm-hmm. great if it existed. You know, it would be a good place to live. Yeah, we always have the big bad. We're always facing the big bad. And the big bad, if it's Voldemort, if it's Sauron, if it's, you know, Darth Vader, whatever it is. It's always the big bad. What? Hitler. Hitler, just say it. Exactly. All, yeah. But that's kind okay. of the, well, I mean, But yeah. again, it's the, no, there's the, the Lord of the Rings. It's best the best thing about Yeah, tying the Lord of the Rings, you know, and it's interesting that you bring up um, something that might be considered mo- modern or contemporary in Harry Potter when in the Lord of the Rings, a lot of the symbolism there is based off of the atrocities of war, which sometimes um, are just extensions of technology. You know, the ring itself was a new creation, even though it looks... Like a standard creation, it's right. just a ring. It was a new creation forged in fire. Yeah, so, yeah. There, Even if that technology isn't necessarily visual, it's something that can be almost implied. Yeah, it's like it the most basic of yeah. man. All of the elders' rings were these fancied up, you know, all of the decoys. They looked fancy. They were interesting designs. But the only ring that really mattered is the one that's like, looks the most plain. They These... The stories and the like cautionary tales, you know, they're they're not necessarily new to literature. The, the story of good versus evil, of love prevailing over all, of of brotherhood in the case right. of Lord of the Rings, of you know faith and hope in Harry Potter and courage and all the all the like little kind of fables that they tell you. They're not new, but they definitely they the way that they tell these stories transcends time. And you can kind of look outside your own front door if you're watching the news or whatever, and 
and see, you know, similarities to what's going on out there, you know, in terms of current events. And, you know, you don't want to get, you know, not to get like political or, or whatever, but that's one of the things that I think really draws people to these kinds of stories is, is they're so relatable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to they see. Are it's relatable. easy to understand the story of good versus evil. Absolutely. And it's really nice when you've got like an outlined obvious villain. Like, oh, yeah. This no, is that's, the one that's you are great. trying to defeat. This the, is what is ruining the world. The opposite side of that coin, though, is in both of these stories, both of these films, you can truly escape from reality as well. Yes. You can take yourself away from your everyday life and put yourself somewhere that is fantastic. It's it. Yeah, it has its own perils. Yeah, it has its own problems. But guess what? Who wouldn't want to live in Harry Potter's world just for a little while? Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't want to 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 walk a mile with Bilbo and and the dwarves and the Hobbit or or Frodo and and the Fellowship <laughs> in in the Lord of the Rings? Who wouldn't want to do that just for a little while, just to escape? And it's the escapism. That comes from these stories that, for me, that is what draws me to them. And that is why the tourism industry in New Zealand is booming. Oh, God, yes. And in Scotland, too. Like, she, you know, I did the, I did my, what I call my Potter pilgrimage when I was in Edinburgh, and I went to the Elephant Cafe where she first started writing, sure. <laughs> and you can look out over the graveyard, and they've got, like, the whole bathroom which is just decked out in Harry Potter stuff, and, like, little signatures and stuff from people all around the world leaving messages for her for thanks, because when she first started writing, it was, you know... She was very poor, and she was in this cafe in Scotland. You can look out over this graveyard, and you see names like Severus and McGonagall, and you're like, oh, there you go. Where, gee, I wonder where so, she got that idea. But, you, you know, you, you, for the right amount of money, like you, can, you can walk a mile in their shoes. And you can kind of feel that magic. At least in Scotland, you can feel that inspiration. Sure, and you see the sure. locations, and I, you see the big steam trains, and you're like, okay. But like, for this me, is that, where it came this, from. Aside from that, which I think is great, I think that's the draw of the movies, though. That's yeah. why I go to the movies. That's why I go to see big things like this. That's why I go to the theater. Where it's there on the big screen, and mm-hmm. it envelops me. And for, for most films, it's about two hours now. I am not me. I am in this film. I am watching this film. I don't have to worry about it. Now, I'm not saying that I don't like who I am. Don't get me wrong. But we do like that escape. I definitely agree. And the escape, I think, is the big draw. I will say that I would argue that the escape alone is not enough, and I think we've seen that in some. Oh movies. God, yeah. You need relatability, and you need some some facet of realism. Even fantastic as it may be, you need to be able to see some ten, some tangible connection to what you know. Because if it's too far off, I think it is off putting to people. And yeah, well, that's, and that's well, kind yeah. of how with they're, you know they're perfectly blended in that. That's how you get these wonderfully flawed characters, you know. Well, that's and why Lord we of the can... Rings did a great job. Frodo's like, no, I'm done. This sucks. Yeah. You know, he's in Rivendell and he's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, this is hard. Yeah. I am ready to go home. Boromir yeah. and wants then to he... kill him and take the ring, which was kind of <laughs> prophesied. You know, it was going to happen because they telegraphed that one. But, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But just, the, just you know. Um, the, the phrase that keeps coming up is, yes, men are weak, and they repeat history and over again, which goes back to, you know, the, the fables that we were discussing just a few minutes ago. It goes ago. all the Who's way that? back to the Odyssey, yeah. the, the ultimate fantasy, mm-hmm. the, ultimate, yeah. the ultimate journey movie. It goes all the way back to the flawed hero Odysseus. I mean, these stories are not new. Which is great, because we are all flawed. So Absolutely. You, see, yeah. you know, when you and see in Harry Potter, here's this yeah. kid who's like, yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. 
I don't even know who I am. Like, what am I doing? The I have suddenly, here. like, I have mm-hmm. to face this double-headed man in front of a mirror. Like, <laughs> and expectations based on your legacy, your parents. Yes, like, like a lot you of people, have a lot to live up and to. And a lot of it goes back to when he's in when he's in the the wand shop and. Um, the I guess you could call him merchant, whatever you want to call him. Says he the he talks about Voldemort, who shall not be named. He said, "Yeah, he did great things and terrible things." So <laughs> it just shows the power. But, of great things, but the great also terrible. But see, the great and the terrible isn't that a matter of perspective? Yeah, yeah. evil will with Hitler. Can't was we great, all relate great, to that? The and thirst a credible for power. motivational speaker. Yeah. Hitler was yeah. a great leader, yeah. but he yeah. was a horrible human being. Yeah. We can all admit he that. Was an but also he great leaders. What's that? But Terrible. also great things. But great. <laughs> All right. How about we take a break? Cool. Sounds All good. Right. No. Everything that we still have yet to cover, the one thing I, I I can't even go so far as to say one film is better, quote unquote, or, or more I fun can. to watch. Ben can, but <laughs> I will say. But no, there's a reasoning behind it. Yeah. Okay. My, my reason is um, this is actually a discussion that Stu and I have had a couple of podcasts ago, and what. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone reminds me of is Stephen King, who's also one of my favorite writers. The film, I can't really say how well it translates from the book because I haven't read the book. Um, But there are a lot of great concepts there. It just seems like a lot of them aren't fleshed out. And maybe that's on purpose because of time constraints, and they can't really relate. Well, they can't that. show everything. In the I know film. they can't. I it know they can't show everything. In the film. And also, it's and a, movie it was a for short children. film. But in, in to me, area. to me, the main sticking point is the turn at the end with the professor, who is also like a conduit for Dumbledore. Voldemort. It's just like, wait Burl. a second. This, oh, why did this right, even happen? Burl. This guy's like a minor character, and all of a sudden, he was the main villain the whole time, but not really. And that becomes a, like a theme in Harry Potter. You know, Voldemort is, a, is an abuser and a user. So, I, But as a film standalone, Lord of the Rings, and this is coming from, I think, pretty, I've obviously established that I am pretty a diehard Harry Potter fan. I've read it a couple times. I, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. It happens once a year. It, that Lord of the Rings on its own is a better film on its own. It, there is really no questions that that trilogy did everything the right way, and they did it in ways that Harry Potter really didn't have a way. They, they just couldn't because you are following child actors. We were just talking about this a little bit. They have to grow up. You've got you know, and then it, and it hadn't already been finished yet. And Steve Close is the only person who really had any idea, aside from her maybe her editor, of what was going to go on. Her continuity editor and her editor Rowling's editors knew more or less like, okay, you can't really say this because this is planned. So it. Lord of the Rings overall is a better movie. I think they, and it's a labor of love from Peter Jackson because oh, he was such I an need intense. I my thought because I didn't. I'm sorry. But you're right. No, I was just going to say I'm a, I agree with you that Lord of the Rings overall is a better film. The reason I brought up generally. The reason I brought up Stephen King and I think he and George Lucas are kindred spirits in that they both have a bunch of great ideas, 
But the problem is the execution of the ideas at some point, as far as even like as specific as writing goes, because these the concepts they have are always phenomenal. They seem to have a lot of them, um, and that's how the Sorcerer's Stone struck me. A lot of really cool concepts, like uh, the execution of the Quidditch game. Even though I I thought like the the way it was resolved was a little bit anticlimactic. It was just a really awesome idea, and the way it was shot was really great. You can look at. And are, I'm sorry, are you all set? Did you get what you wanted to say? That's all I really wanted to say is that okay. um, I, I compared uh, Sorcerer's Stone to some like Stephen King, George Lucas ideas because right. lots of great ideas, not but the execution, not the follow through. Yeah, right. the fall through. Well, in Star Wars, great. there's such a long chain of command, too, as far as like creative consultants who's producing, who's writing. Not even just directing. Star Wars, though. I mean, I mean. Reference. I'm even like thinking of Indiana Jones. Some of the yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's yeah, in. Right, right, right. Well, for the Quidditch match that you were talking about, sorry. way more fun to read. Way, oh, oh, way I'm sure. light years more fun to because read. Because there's Quidditch no match. cap on imagination. Oh, yeah. oh, when you're watching that, the movie, yeah. it's like, well, this is what's being presented to me. Yeah. So this is why. I just couldn't. Ask but that. I feel like when you watch, um, you know, like the first time that I had seen that movie, that I had saw that movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's first year uh, for Hogwarts, so as far as timeline goes, there's no question as far as, well, when did this happen, and what was he doing during, you know, like, it, the, the movie starts with him being born, and it ends at the end of the first year, but with the Quidditch match, the analytical part in me can't help but think, okay, so he's balancing on his new... Broom now. His Nimbus 2000. Thank Had you. Had he already much. gotten the Nimbus? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. His Nimbus arrived. Because yeah, right remember before. the owl delivered it, he unwrapped it at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So I feel like, is the it Nimbus a cool scene? Yes, absolutely. It's fun to watch, and I feel like I was transported back to a child. But you're balancing on a broom that, like, you just learned how to ride, I think like, that just, seven days ago. I think that was put in there just to show that he had natural abilities. Like, you know, the part where... Yeah, that's Like, the part true. where the instructor He's says, okay... You, you, you yeah. Put your, exactly! Yeah, you put the Perhaps hand, you know. <laughs> you put the hand <laughs> over the broom and you say, up, and, and every boom. time Harry's just like... Because he has natural abilities. That's yeah. what I chalked it up to. And that's, and that's trying to establish his connection to his father. Because we don't know shit yeah. about his parents at this point. Yeah. But which, his dad was which a great Quidditch player. Is, that's plays foreshadowing, right in, really. Yes. Which plays right into what I was going to say. We have to keep in mind that... in the mouth. I love that he catches the snitch in his mouth. Because that becomes something so important later in the books. Which, of course, I didn't know. So I'm kind of... That's when I get put... At this a is another which great comes, example which of Which comes that. back to what I was trying to say... This is an introduction to this world. Yeah. All of these things, it, it, in the movie, it's not going to seem as fleshed out. If you haven't read the books, you're not going to know a lot. You're not going to feel the same about it necessarily true. as those that have. Because this is a true introduction. For and Harry, too. If for, mm-hmm. Well, and then this is the point. This is the introduction. This is the opening chapter, if you will, in a much larger tale. And because it is just that introduction, you're not going to get a lot of the detail. You're not going to get a lot of the depth. You're not going to get a lot of the understanding of that world. Unfortunately, the limitations of film are not going to give you all of that all throughout. You're going to feel good about the characters. You're going to feel good about the stories later on. You're going to be engrossed in them. But unless you have sat down, read the books, get some of the other details, I I can totally see leaving Harry Potter and going, eh, he was cute. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what my thought was. It's like, you know, this this would be cool Like if you were... 
going to see a movie that you could probably enjoy as a popcorn flick with your kids. Absolutely. And Pure then, escapism. And then if they're Pure still into it, if they're escapism. still into the Harry Potter universe when the next film comes out, or if they're into the books, like, okay, we'll go back and see the right. next however many films there are, you know? It does. It so, really does just scratch the surface it, in this that, one. And that's and it, the point. You can tell that Chris Columbus, the director of Sorcerer's Stone, is really trying to paint a picture because he takes his time telling the story. Mm-hmm. He doesn't rush anything. Because it's a two and a half hour you. film, so it's still, in terms of modern films, it's still a, a decent, yeah. it's a decently long yeah. film. But yeah. he's, so, you know, and you can tell, like, when Harry's first getting introduced to the world, and I noticed this watching it this morning again, is that. He takes his time showing you everything. In Diagon's Alley, which is really Harry's first chance to be immersed in the wizarding world, that he shows you every owl. He shows you the bat. He shows you the kids looking at the Nimbus 2000. Mm -hmm. He shows you all the different costumes and all the different witches and wizards that are hustling and bustling all in this magical community. He doesn't rush that at all. We didn't have to see a scene of Harry walking through Diagon Alley. You know, for book readers, you're like, I already know what this looks like. I don't care. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's you know let's what's get going to the story. on. Yeah. yeah, right. But he really takes his time, and that's partially because he's making a movie for children. He's good at that. He's done Home Alone. He did Stepmom. Yep. He does. Yep, he's yep. good with kids. He gets the yeah. yeah he, he gets did. the perspective of children. Yeah. So, and then after this, he did well. He did Chamber of Secrets, and then he did Rent, which is well, well, very way out of is there his Hulkin cameo in here somewhere. I wish only they only hired British actors. That was a big thing. And that was something that like really upset when they first started casting is only British actors, no one else. Every single movie that me and Anna have watched that has numerous, numerous, numerous <laughs> British actors, there is always somebody that was in Harry Potter. It was like this little... But it is a who's who. Of oh, it totally it is. It really is. 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 Our girl from Hook, what, what? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Maggie so Smith, I wanted to say this. Brickman, who looks younger in Richard the Sorcerer's Stone than she does in Hook, probably due to makeup, makeup but still makeup. pretty amazing. They accidentally that is crazy. made her up in yeah. Hook, right? And they yeah. like got it 100 percent right because that's what because that's what she looks like now, right? I mean, it was unbelievable. Which is weird. Yeah, you watch Downton Abbey and you're like, oh my god, is this wow. like Hook or just yeah, I know. So I have IMDb pulled up for Chris Columbus because I I had to mention this because we were talking about how much of a night if you've seen a behind-the-scenes featurette of any movie that has any child actor, it's a nightmare to work with child actors. And they... Well, it depends. You know, yes. yeah, and, and some of them, they, they overact, they don't, you know, you, you gotta take 50 takes to get one good take. Right. And there's a lot of scenes in Harry Potter, and and I, I do really, truly love the film, but there's a lot of scenes, you know, they show Ron, who's always got that, like, I'm about to crap my own pants. But that becomes his thing in the movies, or his funny <laughs> right, faces. Right, right, right. Like, the, the very last, uh, one of the last scenes in uh, Sorcerer's Stone, <laughs> when they show Longbottom, right. they tell him that he has been awarded 10 points, which puts them in first place for the House Cup. His look is so good, and it's so subtle. You know, like, every, I feel like most child actors are. Okay, so this is what I wanted to say. So Chris Columbus directed it. And he also did Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. Which is another movie that kind of piggybacked on Harry Potter's success. Kind of that world. I love you, Beth Cooper, Rent, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Bicentennial Man, Stepmom, Nine Months, Mrs. Doubtfire, Home Alone 1 and 2. As well as Adventures in Babysitting, which is one of my childhood classics. Gotta love the Thor helmet. So he's got his... He's got his time with kids in. Like, I feel like he probably knows really well how to work with them. So a good choice, I would say. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. Especially for the first two. But having said that, it's difficult to work with child actors. Think, consider who we're talking about. 
the child actors. He hit child actor gold oh with my gosh. these three kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. They are so incredible. With these three kids. This was... I mean, absolutely nailed all Every three single character. characters. And mm-hmm. then, like, my, my comment was, of course, with child actors, you're going to have an awkward moment where the camera pans to them and their face is just awkward. Whatever, you're going to get that. I can fully accept that. But I said, for the most part, you know, watching this film for the first time, considering their children, they did a really, really great job. It was. And they were, yeah. I think even Emma Watson was like nine when they first started Emma filming. Watson, she was I, really I, I young. Mean, when I rewatched this just recently, yeah. I watched it this, this with a new she, eye. She grew up to be something pretty. Oh, God. I feel Most so did, horrible though. even thinking about they Emma did. Watson. They did. Even Daniel Radcliffe, sorry. all five before punched before every person I know oh, in the face. And she, you never would have guessed. It's this little bushy-haired girl. She's cute as a button, and she's a little snotty but you, brat. But, but, see, she, but she, in this first film, you're absolutely... Yeah, you, but in this first film, doesn't her performance seem a little almost too studied? Yes. Yeah. It's it's like, I am reciting a line. Because that's who Hermione is. I am yeah, reciting I know, another absolutely. line. That I is her really, persona. I am I reciting really this line, too. For this. I have really great trivia for this. And then I'm reciting a line. Let me see. Exactly. You've got right. dirt on your nose. She yeah, just when that. when know? Alfonso Cuaron, <laughs> she should, she said a little brat. When Alfonso Cuaron took over from Chris Columbus, he asked the kids, the three kids, to to write him an essay on their characters and what they understand Wonderful. of their characters. Oh, wow. So Brilliant. Harry and Ron, you know, Daniel Radcliffe and Robert Grant turned in page and a half, something very basic, like this is what I know of my character, this is what I do. Kind of like Emma Watson turned in a book. like a seven-page paper. On, <laughs> With references. Uh, on the yeah. Emma Radcliffe's essay was just a big money yeah. sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just he drew on like video clips of him in the first movie. movie. This is yeah, a Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah. That's right, bitch. It was a blank check. It was a picture of him naked with the horse. Blank check the movie? <laughs> yes, next week oh, will be blank check. No. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, so I, train wreck, I train wreck everything. Thank you. No, man. but now that we're talking about casting, I do want to touch on Lord of the Rings because... The female casting mm, is perfect. Yes. The female casting is perfect, Kate but Blanchett. what I think is more important than that Tyler. is that so many of the times in movies, people aren't able to do sequels because of... Scheduling conflicts, contractual so obligations. Other Peter films. Jackson and his like genius planning was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. No, I we're gonna have an eighteen half. month shooting schedule, and you know, originally uh, Sean Connery was cast as Gandalf, no and way. he refused. That would not no. I refused. He Fuck turned him. it down because, because of he the eighteen under- month shoot schedule. Well, and he didn't understand the plot. Because of what Peter Jackson said. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a whole onslaught of people who are so where, on that you're where like... Are the, where are the girls in bikinis? Who yeah, do I yeah. shoot for? I'll take famous titties yeah, for yes, 200. Who do, I, who do I shoot for? I'm James Bond, but I'm a I, whistle, I don't right? think I get That's a whole what? other podcast, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love so it's like, by the time that... Oh, yeah, I love it. Who doesn't love it? What a terrible miscast that would have been. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Skiwi, and that like, would have been the focus though, of this um, podcast. It would have been, case, yes. How Sean Connery ruined Lord of the Rings? How do we make Peter Jackson pay? But no, seriously, as like the the two main wizards, uh, Christopher Lee and Ian McKellen, how more perfect could you get? Yeah, okay. Patrick you can't Stewart get better was cast. Duco, they like, do both look uh, Patrick Stewart was cast as who? Patrick Stewart yeah. was cast as Gandalf. That would have been interesting. Turned it down because of scheduling conflicts. Would that and be with the X Men? They wanted sir? Ian McKellen for Gandalf, and he said, "No, I've already played one Grand Wizard." Exactly, and that's why he said no. And then you they mean for, that would be the main. They, he turned. He turned down. Ian McKellen turned down Dumbledore because he's okay, like, no, I've already signed on for, for one big right, wizard. Right, yeah. oh, 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 I've got oh, oh, way too much shit on my plate. Yeah. And so, but when Richard Harris got the call from 
the casting directors, they were like, we would really love for you to play Dumbledore. He that was, breaks my he heart. He said no originally. And his seven-year-old granddaughter turned to him and said, if, Granddad, if you don't play Dumbledore, I will never speak to you again. Oh, no. Because he was like 85 or something when he well, took yeah, the role. Well, you just mail him because he died. Yeah, I know, right. So he was old, he was frail, you could tell he was an older person. enough justice, I think Patrick Stewart would have been closest. Would have been closest, but still. Because Dumbledore was like a they're besties, like they're hilarious. Together. I know, like the. Pictures I mean, they are they hilarious post. together. So the camaraderie and, 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 and Patrick Stewart, yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's uh, a beer I'd like to have. I, I feel like the camaraderie with the cast of Lord of the Rings. You know, like when the whole thing was done, all nine members of like the the ring crew, right. you know, they got their tattoos. Mary Pip, yeah, they all got their tattoos. And uh, Viggo Mortensen wasn't originally on board, and then right. his son was like, "Dad, I really Dad, you want you to do this." this role. Yeah. And he said, "Yeah, yeah so. all right." But how perfect is that? It's like Strider. a writer. And another thing too, um, I love it when movies make reference to other movies that even haven't been made. Um, when I think it's Arwen and wait, no, Eowyn, Arwen. I'm sorry, I'm curious. Arwen is the eldest daughter. Eowyn is the one from Rohan. Yes, thank you. Okay. Dude, you just got hit with Jill. When she's talking to Aragorn, she references the road. I'm like, oh, he went on to star in the road. I love it when stuff like that happens in films without there being... I think that was incidental. I think that was truly No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I love incidentals like that that point to future events. Because I grew up to be like, well, when Lord of the Rings came out, I was like a diehard Legolas Orlando Bloom fan. Like, it was a little serious. It was It was a big deal. Because it was like, who is this beautiful creature so on my TV? But he, Didn't he punch Justin Bieber? But he did, he which tried. makes him my personal hero. He swung, hero. but I don't think he connected. Well, they were fighting about his supermodel ex-wife. Whatever. Whatever. He, he originally, <laughs> fun fact, <laughs> he originally auditioned for the role of Faramir, who doesn't show up until the two towers. Yeah, really? He would he not was, have fit as Faramir. No. no. But no, Peter no. Jackson Absolutely had made comments not. like, I'm looking for the most inhumanly looking people for elves. Like, I want yeah. people who are beautiful and weird I looking. Put, yeah. And I want people who don't other really look like other like people. Kate Blanchett. So, tall, Kate Blanchett. You have baby. Liv Tyler, yeah. who had been making a career doing, like, you know, random movies and also starring in her dad's Aerosmith videos. But do you, like... Tyler since that movie. She was perfect. Yeah, I've been in love with And, she, you know, you see her, like, flawless, poreless, porcelain skin, and she's just... You're like, wow, this is the perfect person for this. But Orlando Bloom wanted to be Faramir, and I'm like, wow. The way, to, way the, to have a good idea there, casting directors. The, like, the way to make the executive thing judgment. With Liv Tyler, though, the interesting thing with that is that she actually pulls the character off. Mm-hmm. It's not, she doesn't seem false in the character. She could have seemed so false. I was so she was worried. Perfect. She was flawless for that character, and, and, and it worked so very well. The thing that, that that strikes me though is that while we you know we're we're talking about the the like Gandalf obviously was flawlessly casted and um, Vigo as as Aragorn and then even Sean 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 well I was going to say Sean Bean as Boromir. May he rest in peace. Who always dies in every single movie. My God, I thought you meant Sean Bean died. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, but he always dies in every single movie that he's in. All the time. But but aside from that, but then you get to the Hobbits. Maybe that's contractual. The four Hobbits could not have been more appropriately cast. And I was horrified by the thought of... I'll be honest. Elijah? Elijah Wood. I was still, it's a love-hate The good son. I was, a, I was really horrified. 
horrified by that Because he was still, like, just after child star. I know. He was and obviously a child star. His casting, his audition tape is awesome. Him he and his friends him set up costume. a shire in his backyard, and they, like, acted out a part of the book in his backyard. Did he, okay. know, that that? Was what Did he know the books well? He, he knew the books obviously, beforehand. Yeah, I mean, really? So he set right, it into Peter job, Jackson, and they were like, all right, we got to give this guy an audition. But see, but that's the point, though. Because of that, though. I it's mean, a passion project. It is. It's you, a labor of if love. If you don't like choose people who are going to throw themselves into these roles and actually become the people when they're in those roles, you lose it. You absolutely lose it mm-hmm. and everybody that was cast threw themselves into the roles mm-hmm. I mean they, they really gave up did. everything for a year and a half and just took back off to, uh, back to the wizards and Sau- Sauron you know the I mean Christopher Lee is Sauron let's be honest that guy has such a storied career he played he some of the, the worst bad guys in history yeah. Dracula yeah, that was the first thing. Drac- I he say. started in the Hammer films. Lest uh, you say more. Yeah, I know. He started in Dracula films uh, uh, opposite Peter Cushing as Van Helsing. And oh, Van Helsing. Unbelievable character actor. Mm-hmm. He has done more good in, the, in his old age, I think, than he ever did when he was younger. It's that yet, voice. It is his it's voice. That, it's and that, now he's that Jeremy Irons-esque voice. It's I have to be the deep. person who mentions he's done heavy metal albums. Has he really? Yeah, really? but not not like not like with not the like Marshall. He actually no. he actually he sings. Yeah. or speaks like he. With you know what? He may have. Face, you know what? You I may have to anything. double check this. Um, oh, what's the name of the band? Blind Guardian did an album called Nightfall in Middle Earth, and I think Christopher Lee narrated it. Well, there you go. Parts of it. That's because beautiful. why not? That's a throwback. Because to why like the old not? Rush, I think it was Rush before. Story. I think it. it I, I can't remember if it was before or after the Lord of the Rings films had come oh, out. Oh, that would have been. It might have been. It might have been. Regardless, like, it's perfect. It's yeah. absolutely perfect. That is really cool. I did not know that he did that. But it's like this guy. That voice like, is so wonderful. He's such an interesting person in general, and I think that's what they found, like, for every single character, and some people probably think I'm weird when I say that Galadriel is like my favorite character, maybe in the whole film. But that scene when Frodo's walking down, she's pouring the water and then into the basin, yeah. And it goes yeah. back to the theme when even she is like a, even a, she's tempted. Like a creature of light is tempted by the ring, and what happens to her face? Like this creature oh. of beauty. She, the, no. I was well, no, discussing was this. Just, oh no, it was. Um, that's an amazing scene. I was you discussing it with Stu. Scared. I was discussing this with yeah. Stu, like in a trilogy with so many memorable lines. I know we we mentioned uh, "You shall not pass" earlier. My favorite line in the whole film is when she says, "All shall love me and despair." That's like so great. That is a scene where where you don't expect it. Number one, but yeah. when it occurs, it exactly. you're like, it is a hair. It gives you chills. It gives you. I'm it's thinking about. Like my hair is going. Whee. It finishes, and you're like, "Did that? Did that just what?" And then she the diminishes. And then she's like, "I, I passed the test." Yeah. not I just that, but then she I says, will go to the rest. Yes, yeah. she, I am diminished, and I will go. Yeah, she it, she not only recognizes what the ring could have done, what the ring would have done. Yeah. But she willingly does not want She's it. already powerful. Gandalf has a She's same already yeah. probably... They all, yeah, and then after that... Gandalf that's a great scene, moment, too. Yeah. Like, every time somebody's tempted by the ring, it's a great scene because Gandalf... You it's like, humbling you get, for them. You get, a, you get a preview of his power. All of a sudden, yeah. it's like there are storm clouds gathering. It's like, wow, it's... And, no! I, I do not tempt me, Frodo! Yeah, exactly. It's just like... <laughs> I dare not take it! Not even to keep it safe. Yeah, I am not trying to rob you! <laughs> even the wizard... The Even the... Even the... Hothead wizard is tempted. 
Well, a seriously, though, job. you have to be presented with that choice, and that's a lot of the the, the theme in Lord of the Rings is yeah. choice of free choice. will. That's what, what links what Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. What you choose to do, what you choose to become. Thank you. Yes, that's the main link between the two. There's a quick character parallel yeah, I want to draw willingness. on with Dumbledore, and they don't really touch on this very much in the in the movies. They do a little bit, but they, you know, everybody asks Dumbledore. At one point, Harry asks him, "Why didn't you ever want to be Minister of Magic? It's been offered to you so many times." And he said. I don't trust myself with that kind of power. Right. And he doesn't want... It's the same thing that Gandalf says. The you know, best like, characters we know in these films. And they, yeah, it's, it's the big wise yeah. wizards who are like, no, 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 they know what power can do. And you learn with Dumbledore, there's a whole other backstory Men's to that. Bad things in their past. Exactly. This is power what I find does not lead well for them. Between the two films, um, in The Sorcerer's Stone, just with the general look, Voldemort and the Nazgul are pretty much the same thing. Robed character, and you, you learn in the films. Faceless. You learn in the films too that um, the, the Nazgul and uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. They used to be humans. They, they all men. Got, they yeah, got they, they, they were men. Yeah. They, they were men. They had rings. They had rings. They had power, and this is what they've turned into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a good cautionary tale to like this is what your future. That's holds. what eternal. Gra- yeah. yeah. Keep chasing power. Keep chasing so power, and this is what you're going to look like eventually. No face. No face. I think that we've touched now on it. Seminal topic in in between these two movies is, and I see Ray, you've got this written down: the arcane or magic. Magic in these two movies obviously plays an enormous role. What I would argue, though, is that put that one the magic. I'm holding my. For those of you not holding Hermione's wand right now. It's a legitimate wand. Yes, it's got the little glowy tail. It's got a glowy tip and it's 11 and a half inches it's long. So Not much girth. It Not is, much girth. It is the birchwood and unicorn hair wand. Yes, indeed. Unicorn hair. Not from the butt, apparently, but that's okay. Nope. So anyway, as I was saying, back to the magic theme, though. In the Lord of the Rings, magic is everywhere, but it's not organized. I don't see the organization that you see in Harry Potter. In Harry Potter. It's instructional Harry, in Harry, Harry Potter. Potter. It is. It in is books. organized through. Yeah. It is organized through language. It is organized through words. It is organized through through the education through that a the children through a magic, curriculum, right? Books, through the curriculum for magic in the Fellowship and in, in, in the the Lord of the Rings world, it seems more instinctual. It seems more. I am a creature of magic, and therefore I am able to use magic. Elves are creatures of the arcane. And that is why, they like when Arwen, another big moment in Lord of the Rings, we were just talking about this, but she escapes the ring wraiths and she's on the other side of the river and she says, the magic of my people will protect him. She warns everyone, like, let me go on the faster rider when he's been stabbed by the Nazgul. And she's like, let me take him. I can do this. My, My people will protect him. And she's standing on the other side of the river and we're watching this and Jimmy, who's not... Quite as versed in, in Lord of the Rings world, hasn't seen this quite as many times as I have. He's I like, understand. "Well, why is it the water?" And I'm like, "No, it's the magic of the elves. It just exists." It well, it just it's is. the barriers that were put on their realm that right. allow that and do not Elrond, allow those that to come into their realm. They don't let the darkness in. The darkness and so, doesn't and come tells, in. And this, I would say, is one of the most, and maybe sometimes forgotten, but. The moment when Arwen's holding Frodo and she's standing on the other side of the river and she says, "If you want him, come and claim him." Oh yeah, him. God, yeah, that's and another one like, of those moments. Oh, and it's like yeah. you know, it's the, the the strong female characters in both of these movies. You mm-hmm. have these women who kick ass. You've got Galadriel, you've got Arwen, you've got Professor McGonagall, you have Hermione, you have Enormously, these smart girls. But in, in Lord of the Rings, though, notice with the exception of Eowyn, 
almost all of the strong characters that are women supernatural. are supernatural. Mm-hmm. They are godlike. They are they're put on this pedestal almost, you know. But Eowyn herself, though, has her own abilities. It's but the choice it, thing it, too. It's, it's it comes down to the choice. choice. But the magic in both, though, I, th- I find it interesting that that what in in the Lord of the Rings there are five wizards. There's you know Sauron. There's Gandalf, there's Radagast the Brown, and two blue wizards who go unnamed, right? Right. I mean, basically. And, and they're mentioned briefly, but... And, and Saruman, all-powerful. Gandalf, powerful, but questionable at some point. But limited. And then, but limited. And then we have Radagast, who eats mushrooms in the woods and sees flying objects. And we and don't see him until six years later in right, The Hobbit. Right, in The Hobbit. But, but again, in The Hobbit movie. But again, Let's then, not even talk about those. But, but then you've got, on the opposite side, you have this all-powerful, purely evil, magical being and Sauron. Again, paralleling with the Voldemort character, mm-hmm. all-powerful, purely evil, magical being, both seemingly insurmountable, the, the odds are against you in, in both mm-hmm. of these cases. But in at least in Harry Potter... It has a weakness. You have a weakness. You have a fighting chance. You have yeah. somewhere to... You have something. In in Lord of the Rings... Sauron, you can't. I'm Don't sorry. What is it? I mean, and so you, have you, don't just, too, you just walk into Mordor. You have to get to the fight no, Sauron was and, never a man. No, Sauron was an to, idea. Yeah, yeah you have to fight. Well, I was fight. basically, had, uh, what was it from the Silmarillion? Because he was, Sauron came after, what was it, like Malkyor? Morgoth? Right, right, right. Some, yeah, I can't remember. Hey, I'm not uh, here's here's another metal recently, reference. Uh, I think the reason I know this, this was just by chance, I saw a YouTube video by a band called Mordoth. They were like, well, not Mordoth, Morgoth. Uh, they were like an early 90s death metal band, and I found out that their name came from the Silmarillion, um, and Morgoth was one of the evil lords from that book. There so you go. I think he might he might have been the guy who came before. But there's no yeah. chance with Sauron. Sauron wasn't even like, the worst. Like, Sauron, there was somebody, he was like he almost was, an apprentice. Oh, I feel well, like, it, 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 yeah, it was. Yeah, it, it, I uh, wish I had read it. More no, recently. I know. So I I feel a uh, I feel a little bit of a break. Okay, Jimmy, we're getting to here. Well, we're and but, but but we're getting so far into the books, and it's like well, there's. No, I, I think it, that the magic aspect, though, it comes different. from the books. Yeah. But I like the Sar- but, Sauron. You can't like you can't fuck with Sauron. You know. Well, that's yeah. that's that's the thing too. That's like with, serious. with both it's an eye. It's literally an eye. What, what, what are you gonna do? What do you, you put a contact yeah. lens on okay. that? Yeah. Like over the Sauron, I know it would have ended the whole thing. One giant bottle of Visine. Yeah. Yes, but like with, with the wizards are all holding the bottle really up to the eye of Sauron. No, why did we? Yeah, why didn't we just send Ben Stein in there with some clear eyes? <laughs> Seriously, no. But with, like with 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 Voldemort, dry and with Voldemort and Sauron, it just goes back to how you use your potential. We've discussed this. Like Harry Potter could do great things, he could do terrible things, and it depends on your perspective. But That's like okay. with, with Sauron and Voldemort, you know, at one point. Um, they were probably just considered normal but talented. And, you know, it goes back to the mythology that we talk about. I mean, look at, I mean, just look at the Bible. Look at, uh, look at Lucifer. He's pretty much a fallen angel. Like these, you have all these. powerful characters. And this is what's so relatable. Yeah, this is so relatable. And um, these also point back to real life. It's just like, okay, what if, what if Hitler had used his great speaking skills and leadership skills for something that was actually Save good. The cho- and it's, yeah. it's the choice of free will, yeah. and it's, yeah, exactly. the, it's the hunger for power that all men struggle with, and we've seen that all throughout history in the form of various dictators and and just major issues. But it's like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. They just make such an astute 
example of like you know here especially in the case of Voldemort like here's somebody who came from a terrible background who chose a life of evil who well, who who chose power which in turn power I wouldn't say a life evil. of evil I wouldn't he, say he, he chose power, evil he chose power which made him and evil what, what, and then know, he ended up doing all kinds of crazy power, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and, yeah, and you and, have yeah. a Sauron who exists not necessarily for the sake of evil he just exists for the sake of power so, you know, and in this case, it's easier to control through malice and evil and spite and all these things, it's, you know. So you have, it's, it's choice is such a common thing in these books. Frodo has a choice to leave Rivendell and say, never mind, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And Harry has a choice to say, I don't want to do this. I am renouncing magic. Mm-hmm. But they don't. Because they are brave. I don't, Harry I'm has a con- choice. I'm not convinced he's well, got he as much choice. He has a choice. It could have been Neville. But Harry, you you're the deep. chosen it one. It could have been, but he also could have chosen just to not. I mean, he could have been timid. He could have been like, I have Hagrid gives him the choice in the Sorcerer's Stone. Unless you'd rather stay, of course. Uh, in the hood on a rock in the middle of the Oh, I don't think he has. I think this really, there's oh, no yeah, choice you between can staying stay. at home with you can the stay, stay with the But if he did not want to do this quest, he could have He could have gone to Hogwarts and not lived up to his legacy. He could have just been a little punk and been like, no, He chose to pursue his legacy. That, I argue, was the His fantasy. He chose his fantasy. All so, right. it's one of my favorite uh, lines in the first Harry Potter is when, uh, you know, who says, there is no good and evil, there is only power, and right. those who are too weak to recognize it. Right. So this is what I wanted to say, uh, because Ben will appreciate this. So Christopher Lee, Sir Christopher Lee, best known for his roles in such fantasy film series as Dracula, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars. He's also an accomplished heavy metal performer. End <laughs> <laughs> sentence. Well done, Ben. Well Just done. in time for his 92nd birthday, the performer <gasps> released a new seven-track LP titled no. Metal Knight, inspired by the adventures of Don Quixote. Oh, no. Hey, but we Please to, tell me Knight is K-N-I-G-H-T. It is. Yes, it is. Lord. We need to fact-check the Blind Guardian thing. I'm sure he... I think he was a narrator on their album called Nightfall Middle Earth, which was... Was So, okay, well, so before, this is part three. Okay, we'll Anna's got something she's got to say. This is, okay, so there are two major continuity errors in both of these movies, Sorcerer's Stone and Fellowship of the Ring, that maybe it's because I've watched them too many times, but I find them funny. It could be. Because I look and look and look for these. And this is, this is definitely absolutely true. There is one scene in Sorcerer's Stone where this absolutely backs me up completely. And Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, and his ever-changing eyebrows. There is... And they hire so they hire this like ten year old kid who's got like a moderate little unibrow going on. Like he's got thick, thick little boy eyebrows. Like not a big deal. Whatever, he's a kid. But they whatever the like the waxing artist did took it a little bit too far. 
And she, so in the scene on the train on the Hogwarts Express, when he first meets Ron Hermione, and they're sitting around eating candy, his eyebrows literally change shape from scene to scene. It must have happened that very day. You shall not have eyebrows. You shall not be a unibrow, is essentially what was going on. Because it changes every couple scenes. Like, every every couple frames, it'll turn to Ron, it'll be back to Harry, and he'll have his unibrow, and then it'll go back, and, it'll, and he'll show him, he shows him his scar, and his eyebrows are freshly waxed. And it is so funny, because it happens a couple times throughout the movie, and then they finally, their waxing artist got it right over the course of the rest of the films, and they gave him less intense, obvious waxed brows, and more natural, boy-looking brows. Do you want my explanation for it? Because magic. Because magic. <laughs> Because he, he transfigured his eyebrows. Yeah, that's so one of those spells. Harry he said okay, all right. If you really no. want to get totally nerdcore. I got, I get it. I love you, Let's you, do. Let's, Anna's I'm been okay. there for a while. Yeah, yeah. I know, no, I know. She's actually Drinking. having a nerdgasm a little bit over there. I am. You need to This is a big thing for me. Throw I'm some cold water wand. on her. Any one of us were to say, I'm holding my oh, wand and talking about Harry Potter, we would be in trouble. And the joke is that I'm the only girl in this room. For those yes, who are not we've all been holding them. our wands. Yeah, exactly. Wait, I've been holding my wand the entire is this time. In, is this turning into a discussion on the Falcon Mergery and Yeah, four and a half inches. Swish and, and flick. Swish and flick. Okay. You don't have to tell me about wrist movements. All right, so the the eye color thing. We okay, were, we're about, arguing okay. about this. Do I color. have okay. an issue with just eye color of elves? Let's just give them a preface. Okay, it is my thought. That because they are elves, they have no. no set eye color. I disagree. I disagree with you. The they elves have no are set eye color. Blue-eyed, blonde-haired, cr- not necessarily blonde-haired. It's Fair a mood skin, thing. It's eyed. like the the elven mood ring. Okay, but it becomes so obvious. Duh. So many. When when they are upset, when they are emotionally charged, when they are magically charged, their eyes lighten. They become grayish, bluish color. Does when Galadriel they, do that? that Galadriel. No. Galadriel does not, but her eyes are naturally blue. I think they were Doesn't just uncomfortable Arwen contacts. Sound like Aryan. Yeah, no, okay. the, the, the closest Thank thing. You, with, Hitler. We're gonna, yeah, no, we're no, no, hold on a second. Here's a, the closest. The closest thing that I can say with that is the way that Nazgul is spelled is very close to Nazi, but I don't think that was no. supposed to be an argument. I'm sure there's a Latin afterthought. Harry Potter's tattoo is like half of a swastika. No, because it was an issue with Harry Potter as well. The concept of contacts. He, Harry is supposed to have. Green almond shape eyes, shape whatever. But he is supposed to have green eyes. He has his mother's eyes. Yeah, Lily's eyes. And they change several times in the first couple of movies, especially in the promo, like the posters, I'm the promos. Have to argue that he has photoshopped to brilliant green eyes. He is supposed to have emerald colored eyes. And if you, if you want to take me on this one, that's fine because I will prove you wrong. But and that's contacts are an issue for actors sometimes, especially the like thick. Okay. You don't wear contacts normally. They're really that, weird. But I know it's, it's a thing because I'm watching behind the scenes. That's why I know. <laughs> because they were uncomfortable and so Legolas only wore them half the time. Stu's looking off into space. I know he's got. Well, while he's doing that, say. I would argue that Nazgul actually are close to Nazis no, because the spelling is N A Z G H U L, and they used to be <laughs> men, and they were completely corrupted by power. So that's kind of a Nazi. And I bet that has some sort of like Latin etym- etymological root to it. Honestly, like I'm sure that N A Z has something to it that means something bad because you know most literary, you know most most writers have take 
draw a lot from language, semantics, all kinds of things to Certainly. kind of paint the picture. Like Malfoy in Harry Potter. Mal. M-A-L. M-A-L. Mal. Any, any basic, any Western language means bad. It's, right. Well, that's... So you have a lot of that... Snape sounds like snake. It means this. It means that. There's lots of little hidden clues about character development and who they are based on language and who they are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the Griffin, the Gryffindor. What does the Griffin represent? It's, it's a, a representation in a lot of mythology of bravery and courage. Then you have the snake of Slytherin, the self-seeking person. Hufflepuff well, the fall is a, of Eden and Hufflepuff everything else. Hufflepuff is a badger. Yeah. And honey badger, don't give a shit, right? Even mm-hmm. going back and to... And Ravenclaw, the raven. You have, you know... Intelligence, cleverness. Yes. And the ability, you know, this, this Plus level of Plus sneakiness and a little bit of... Uh, mm, Dirtiness and then you have like Hufflepuff, like let's be real, nobody wants to be a Hufflepuff. Because That's what I mean. Nobody even wants you to get lumped into the yeah. you're the other category. There. Even going back to actual history, you know, it's basically a rose. You can you can yeah, look at the you're Lord of the Rings. Who cares about a badger? A war, the Lord of the Rings series follows along the same lines as other mythology, but uh, I even before doing this podcast, I had read a little bit about Tolkien and his ideology, and he was terrified by the world wars. And some of that reflects in his fought. writing. Technological advancement. He fought in World War I, right? He fought in World War I. He fought in World War One. He was absolutely, he came back a changed person, and one of the things that happened as a result of World War One is that Tolkien realized that the history of England, the stories of England were very thin. All they had were, and do have, are... The Arthurian legend, truly. Whereas you look at other other societies, other other countries, they have this rich mythological history. Greece, Rome, Eastern philosophy, even Native Americans. Even Native mm. Americans had such a rich history, whereas the English have Arthur, and it's great. The Arthurian legend is wonderful, which is tied we in with Christian mythology, that, 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 which is tied in with the Lord And the Fisher King. So, Although, anyway. a lot of English history has become like legend. You know, King of course Henry it VIII had. and stuff like of that. Course. But that's an actual history. But that's an actual history. Which but So what he wanted to, to do me, then was create a rich tapestry, a rich mythology that would be a representation of not just his heritage, but of, that, that would last. And so he was creating a mythology. Good job. And... Yeah, he didn't just create a mythology. He created a whole separate universe for for his, these characters to exist in and for others to build upon. As a child, Tolkien actually was a big fan of making up languages. He would, him and his friends would generate languages. Um, as a as an adult, he actually went to Oxford and studied linguistics. That was he, his whole deal. He, he knew he spoke yeah. fluently. I've read different accounts, but anywhere from up to over thirty languages, I've been told he spoke fluently and so is it any wonder that he created how many languages well the elvish and dwarvish and the, this, the language of shower yeah, of uh, uh, more he's even got a language so. of like the Urukai. and it's interesting too it's a lot of yeah. uh, so. pretty much German probably. wasn't Tolkien a very good friend of C.S. Lewis <laughs> They were friends. They yeah. were. They were. They were. They were they college had mates. They, they, had they went out, to school but... together, but then they had a falling out because Tolkien was more of a realistic 
mythological, whereas C.S. Lewis was very Christian-based mythological. Yes, yes which really but shows he became itself. a Christian through the writing of uh, of his Narnia, line, yeah, Narnia which yeah. is really interesting. C.S. Lewis which is, is very Oh wow, which is so yeah, he's a whole different story. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. We could talk about that. Yeah, Those movies were also great. But we should do a podcast about them too. Oh, yeah. I already did it. Good. Well, I already made a reference to that with the centaur and the line. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is. So this is something that I've been thinking about with the two movies, Fellowship and Sorcerers, which, um, you know, the original book was the Philosopher's Stone, mm-hmm. but the American public were, were too obese. This is a good example of, of the power of America. Like, so this is a book all about British culture. Like, the, the idea of being British is a big part of Harry Potter. Like, you know, you... You look at that. That's their world. They didn't say they. She didn't write it as it, like it took place in America. It took. It takes place all over England. It's a who's who of Britain. It's actors a, yeah. Well, and it's, it's very. It celebrates a lot that Great Britain has to offer for, in terms of literature, history, environment, all of that stuff. And yet, when the movie got made, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, because American audiences cannot figure out what a philosopher is. And they don't, they're like, what does that mean? I don't so get they it. Changed, the not only did they change the book title, I don't think it's but they changed the, the entire movie title. So they essentially shaped the, con- like the entire, you know, this entire, it would be a saga, really, because it's eight movies of Harry Potter kind of tailored for American audiences. Like, there's mm. not a lot of British nuances in there that you don't understand. Just the accents. Just the, and then London, the... I mean, it's like oh, London, but it's a it's a backdrop, really. Yeah. I mean, it could be it could be any city because really, um, it's just used as a vehicle for taking them into a realm with okay, we have this place in between Hogwarts and the real world where okay, we have we have these goblins and you know they go to the bank. I actually did like that scene when they go up to uh, to the withdrawal. They go. It actually reminded me of uh, less acid trip version. Of the uh, boat trip in Willy Wonka, like when they're on that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Actually, that's that's one thing I kept on thinking about as my frame of reference when I was it's watching Harry Potter. It's almost The whole idea that was way of before, some of their uh, was way before that technologies. It's a little. It's a little like it's I can a, see where you grab. Not quite steampunk, kind of but too, I think maybe. Yeah. But no, and that's that, that's the reason why I thought of you know like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because of London child is acting a part of that for um, sure. Just the fact you have child actors. I also I also thought that they were going to break out into song and somebody. And this is what I, I even said this while I was watching. He was like, "Daddy, I want a golden goose." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because Maruka Salt would have been a Slytherin, absolutely. Oh, oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Charlie, yeah. Charlie, so, Charlie would have been Gryffindor. After, absolutely, totally Gryffindor. And I just couldn't help it when we were talking about the name change from Philosopher's Stone right. to Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, side note. Depending on how conspiracy theorist you want to get, and conspiracy theorist <laughs> might Very. be a stretch, but um, Philosopher's Stone uh, is actually also a um, moniker for magic truffles, or uh, but they're a different kind of hallucinogenic, uh, similar Which, to. So that's a great transition that you wanted to talk <laughs> about when we weren't recording. It's kind like, of uh, interesting, you know. It's like uh, maybe no, that was a uh, double on top. See, that's well, I can see where that comes from because philosopher here is. Well, I guess at the higher level of thinking is, you know, it's if the, you're like, logical. It's something with books. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. well, as far as Americans know, yeah. I don't know. Something two boring things, with books. Two, two things I wanted to mention, um, touching on both films that we're talking about, um, about how Hagrid has, you know, his own hut. So I'm thinking he's probably doing a bunch of what would pass for drugs. 
They just get drunk. They drink a lot. They drink a lot and butterbeer. Like, come on, don't stew, stew. Don't frown at me because he's very forgetful. As is Gandalf, and there are many references to the fact that, that he, he loves the halflings we Yes, I know. Yes. Yes. So, okay, yes. we got some pot smoking and beer drinking going, especially in the Shire. The okay, Shire but let's be honest with ourselves. All the, time. The, 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 the hobbits were continually smoking and drinking. I mean, yeah, because Samwise, Sam you know what his occupation was? Samwise, Ganji? Aside from, like, a groundskeeper? He's, he was a gardener. He was yeah, a gardener, yeah. That was, like, for, the extent yeah. of his Plus, when they, when they get to that, uh, Oh, we can get it in a point? So, <laughs> Sorry, I was dropping the leaves, I swear. But I'm thinking a huge, <laughs> huge, huge character role in both of these two movies, as standalone movies, is Howard Shore versus John Williams. Oh! Okay, let's do this. <clears throat> so... Let me just. So let I think just, Anna's got something to say. I'm not let sure. Me just, Could you elaborate on Anna? Do you, you elaborate more on that one? Because I'm not. I'm not no, sure where you're going. No, they were the musical composers. Hey, Anna's Anna, say I don't something. Know I think aware. Anna's got something to say. Can okay. We go to okay. Anna? okay. So with Lord of the Rings, it. I mean, first of all, like, do you? Could you have ever asked for a better score for both movies? No, no, no. you don't it really is, know Howard Shore abs- before. You do, you know Howard Shore. I mean, I do, but I, I don't think that you, related to people. You yeah, know, absolutely. Music, music, you wish music from movies like James. You wish James Earl Patrick Malone. It's so hard to compare the two because you have here's someone who has done. You have John Williams, who right. has such an incredible discography. He's done him. everything. An incredible career of these iconic. Film scores. He was the highlight of episode one for Star Wars for me. He is the highlight. I'm sorry, but that that, 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 that was the best part of the whole film was the music. He's, oh, the duel of the fate. But he has, so John Williams has this incredible ability to take a movie and create a theme that encapsulates the whole thing. You know, Indiana Jones, you have da 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 Yeah, well, yeah. You have Star Wars, the main theme, which I'm not even going to try to sing. Um, on top of... Uh, and then on top of and all the other things that he composed. And you have, I mean, you have Jaws, which is really just a minor second in movement. All that it is is a white key and a black key on the piano. But that's so simple. But he has a really great... He has an incredible mind for saying, how do I... Because the way I watched a really great... A lot of those are minimalistic beats, I think. That it's might be very, very simple. Yeah. And so, and John Williams at this point has sold the rights to the original Harry Potter theme that dun, 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 dun. Right, right, right. He, he sold it to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Because when he, when he got to the point where he had too many scheduling conflicts to keep doing the movie, I was after the third, the third Harry Potter movie, he said, I can't do this anymore. I have too much going on. So... I'm going to give you, I'm going to sell the score to you. I'm going to sell the rights to this to you and you can keep using it. So, because it became so important, it became so a part well, of Harry iconic Potter's part of the culture. Movie. It's, it's, you can't have Harry Potter without that, that one, like, 16-bar phrase. Dun, but dun, we come back to, dun. we come back to, I think, an original right. point, which is John Williams. Without John Williams, many of the most famous movies of the past 40 years... Would, would not be nearly not be famous. They would not be they, nearly as resonant. They wouldn't. They wouldn't, wouldn't hear these things. I'm sorry, but but yeah, Star Wars, the sound, the sound that went along with Star right, Wars, is is. I'm sorry. It it is part of the story. Without it's a character. The sound, it is a character. It's a in the true story. character. And, and 
each of the themes for each of the characters as you as you watch the film it set, not only sets the tone and the mood but it helps to set it it, it moves you and it, it creates what makes it memorable there is no one in this and in terms of film composers there's no one out there who has been able to quite touch what John Williams has done for modern film and not to say that Howard Shore that Hans Zimmer that you know, Klaus Fidel, all of these incredible composers are not talented, but John has taken film composition and really, truly taking a movie and wrapping it up in like a two-minute musical number. Well, I would say Howard Shore, to, if, if that's how you feel about John Williams, at least for Lord of the Rings, Howard Shore was channeling John he Williams. He is going to, but see, that's the point. Yeah, that's at the thing. This, at, because at, we're talking about influences for both films in sure. any regard, whether it's literary, whether it's in he terms created of composition the, music. He created the mood, he created the, he created the setting. Yeah, it's I mean it's gorgeous. I mean it's music in Hobbiton. Yeah, you see, you hear that. Oh, look, yeah. you, 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 you could sing, right? I mean, it makes right. me tingle. Who knew? Who knew? I said it we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna karaoke after this, even if it's just us singing into uh, tennis rackets. Two karaoke soundtracks. That's what we're gonna be doing. That's name that soundtrack. With Howard Shore, he, I'm. He had he, he was lucky because he got all three of them at the same time. Sure. So he had you know he he composed for each film individually, but we... he had three movies that he was contracted to do with the same Shut director, with the same then. group of actors, with the same everything. All like he had he had a very different setup than than John did. Oh, absolutely. And John only did the first three, but he worked with two directors. Sure. So you've got. Two very different, you know, approaches to film. Two very different visions to capture with John, and he did a flawless job. Like the the score to Prisoner of Azkaban is bar none the best in all the Harry Potter soundtracks. It is perfect. But with Howard Shore, Howard Shore did an amazing job because it, it becomes it's a part of the movie. It's the it's the atmosphere. It, it is the environment. It's part of the scenery. It's you part know, of you're the looking environment. at yeah. Shire that's when that's you hear the right. the flutes when right. you hear. Yeah, yeah, the flutes. And you hear oh, that you hear the thing for the please. ring, and you hear you know you think of this ring and this all powerful ring, the you know Rohan and his Tirith Gondor, yeah. all of that. Mm. It becomes a part of the movie, and it it doesn't. I would say that it doesn't quite stand alone as well as Harry Potter does because Harry Potter's themes are so obvious, but it it enriches the, the scenery. Obvious, but they're, they're, the I think that Harry Potter is more recognizable. Like if you play, and I maybe uh, I'm maybe I'm gonna get argued against here. Except for the theme from no. the Shire, the, 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 the Shire, Shire you will know. I but will, anything I, else other than the Shire, just like but the that's main... also your emotional tie speaking. No, so but I think even objectively, if you play Harry Potter for a group of people, the they will want. Harry Potter versus the Lord of the Rings. You will you will get more people who recognize the theme to Harry Potter than you will to the people that recognize the theme to Lord of the Rings. And I'm thinking of the. Which is very the DVD menu screen for all three of them. How many times have I woken up in the middle of the night to that? Right, because you fall asleep to it every night, like that. Well, here's my thing, and maybe this touches upon the differences in the two films. We've talked about the similarities, but as far as like scores go, and as far as the actual action of the movies go. There's really not a whole lot in terms of fight scenes when it comes to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because not until yeah I mean unless definitely, you, unless no you, definitely not unless you consider unless you consider the chess game as the closest thing. Um, there's but a lot they're, of they're like they're like ten years old. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, 
They're not grown-ups. It's not... You're right. No, but like the action scenes and Fellowship of the Ring are actual is, battles because and it's and one after another. This isn't, never this isn't something we touched. That's not, no, that's not necessarily true. This no, isn't something we've really touched I mean, upon though, because Fellowship of the Ring is correct me if I'm wrong. PG thirteen and well, Sorcerer's yeah. Stone is PG. PG so right. there's a level of violence. You can't yeah, talk Fellowship about. of the yeah. Ring is a more <laughs> intense film, and that's not even from a subjective standpoint. It is Harry absolutely a darker, darker film. It's a darker yeah. film. Absolutely, I mean, which, a and that's where the score film. comes it's grown in. Ups. Yeah, it's grown. Well, yeah, it's grown ups, and there's these epic, you know, like the the scene with the troll, the full grown mountain troll in Harry Potter. That is cute, fun, cute scene. and fun. But you take the the cave troll then from Fellowship, which and you takes put the, like, right. They look the same. They take they look six, very similar. It takes Just seven go. people to take down the one cave troll in Lord of the oh Rings, and it takes three. Kids Who and takes a wand an arrow right. through? The I guess it'd be it's the top soft, of his it's mouth, a soft palette. and then it goes right the up eye. the soft palate. Can yeah. we talk about how much of a role Legolas plays as a warrior? Because he's not really a knife wielder or a sword person. Which he, but he does he, a little bit later, but not. I don't think he it, does. He original... does throw some knives, but he's yeah. he is an archer. That's, that's, yeah, that is where the would, iconic where would they have yeah. been without? Legolas and his ability to shoot shit. Well, it's not just, where would they have been without each individual one of them? That's the I know. Point of it's incredible. I hope you not talked about Gimli. Because maybe okay. I'm just maybe yeah, I'm yeah, just take a break. Yeah. We're all screaming at the microphone. What? To take a break. I just yeah. I just love Orlando Bloom. Because because okay, the, I did. the whole Orlando. setup the whole setup of the Lord of the Rings everybody's got a has role. absolutely formed the the characters you choose for adventure films, films later on. You have the little weasel guy who who films the thief character. Well, that essentially yeah. is the is the Frodo character, mm-hmm. right? You have the the guy who is your sharpshooter, which is the Legolas character. He's the he's the guy who, who kills from afar. Takes down a whole Oliphant in Return of the King, which is interesting right. that we okay. You have you have your utilitarian tank, which is your dwarven character, right? Who just wades in and kills on my ox. Then you have. Then you have your leadership, which is your, which is the Aragorn character, or who Paladin is kind of he, he is he's the leader. He's kind of one of those guys who's a jack of all trades. And then of course you have the all powerful wizard, sorcerer. the sorcerer, the wizard character, who not all which Obi-Wan, in the Lord of the Obi Wan, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker. There we go. We're we're back to our but then we also this team like this level of but it's a universe. It's like a universal sort of. Palette. It's a motley crew. Even of awesome. well, even even down to Harry Potter, we mentioned. It, I I just think it's great that we mentioned film scores when we touched on Star Wars. But it's like okay, Harry Potter is like Luke Skywalker, and which is the, the which is Harry. Harry yeah. is Luke, the un, unrealized hero, and then who he could be a villain? Who could be? Who could be a horrible villain? and unrealized, yeah. and, and but he could be. But he's surrounded by characters who fill certain gaps in his character. He's a dumpy kid with Hermione a eyebrow. Sure, serves the or very or very clean eyebrows, depending on the yeah, scene. Depending on or the scene. maybe he's overwaxed. Who knows? But it bothers me a whole lot. And then so finally, so it clean, gets clean. resolved by Chamber of Secrets, thankfully. But look out for Harry and his like little tiny eyebrows at some point. His you realize I'm never going to be able to unsee this. Now. Well, that's the point of this podcast: is you will not be able to unsee Harry and his changing eyebrows and his. His crazy eyes. Because in some scenes, they're green. And in some scenes, they're normal Harry Potter-like bluish-brown. 
Because Daniel Radcliffe has some fairly unremarkable eyes. But Harry is supposed to Sorry, have Dan. jet black hair and brilliant emerald eyes. I think he eyes. is a handsome he man. He is a product of his mother and his father. So. Yeah, I read the eyes like once or twice. Oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. I like the band All strapping right, him. So, on his hands were on our hips. Stuart's head is in his hands. Oh, you best not. We're going to take a break in right now. Sassy pads. Part four. Anna, go ahead. The parallels of characters in the two films, which we've moderately addressed in the hero story, someone young coming of coming of the kind of coming of age story. You see that a lot. It's pretty obvious in Frodo and Harry Potter. It also happens in Star Wars. It's a common literary character in just in general. It's it's archetype. It's 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 something that happens a lot, right? And one of the things that I, I noticed that are represented very well in this very separate sense is Gandalf and Dumbledore. You have the old wise wizards who are kind of the Dusex Machina, and that they know where to go, they know the story, they know essentially what is going to happen. They have arguably more than anyone else. In the, in the absolutely world. more than anyone else. Okay. They have the foresight, they have they have the history, they know, and they kind of have this all knowing wisdom. But they're very different characters, and I and they do that a, a, a very good job of that in both of the movies. In Lord of the Rings, Gandalf is a very active character. You know, aside from the time when he was trapped on a tower in Isengard, he is there with them. He is leading the way. He is a part of the fellowship, and he is absolutely active. And if he if he's not, it's not because he doesn't want to be. But Dumbledore... It's because he's being tortured. Because he's literally being tortured at the top of the tower. Yeah. But Dumbledore has to take a step back. Because if he were to give Harry all of the information that he would probably need at the front, it never would have worked. So Dumbledore has to take a step back. Conscious decision. Conscious decision. He made Mm -hmm. a choice to not be an active part of Harry's life. He really does not become... Like a constant, aside from being headmaster, he doesn't really become a constant role in Harry's life until much later in the series. Lessons, yeah. yeah, he's he's 16, 15, 16, 17 when, when Dumbledore is like an active part of his life. So you have these two, and they get they get compared all the time, Dumbledore versus Gandalf, and people, and it's usually by people who haven't read the books because they have no idea how different they are. Just physically, aesthetically, they yes, look, they look similar. They're old hair, white guys yeah. with long beards and long hair. And so they're kind wizards. Kind of. They're wizards, yes. But they have very, I mean, they, they kind of have similar roles. They're very different approaches to it. And I think that the two movies highlight that very well that, you know, Gandalf is an active member of the fellowship, whereas Dumbledore is still their headmaster. He's still an authority figure. But it kind of comes along to explain some things occasionally. So. Gandalf is the same way, I think, though. He does explain some things to Frodo, but he probably could explain more if he wanted to, but he so chooses to withdraw himself at some points because he doesn't. But that wouldn't have worked out well. In both stories, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings, in both stories, if you actually get into the literature and you read the books, both of them had to go out during the stories and learn more. 
Both yeah. of them, there comes a time when they, they kind of have, have something. Right there's away. some little yeah. bit of It'd like something happens in in both of the early stories storylines where they're like, oh, like they on the surface like, oh, everything's fine, like that's nothing big. But then like they actually, when you find out later, they were going and looking into something that turned out to be a big thing. In Lord of the Rings, it's the One Ring, and that actually happens uh, in the prequel to Lord of the Rings, which is The Hobbit, but. He actually, Gandalf doesn't know. He actually has to go out and, and find out more information. He actually gleans information. And if you read the books, like, there's a whole thing with the necromancer. Uh, they don't actually yes. get into it. But, yeah, but that's yeah. Sort of, the point is that he actually did have to go. He didn't know everything from the beginning. He had to go and find out information. And so the story was kind of dynamic And the in that same way. thing and with Dumbledore. Like, oh, yeah, Dumbledore. He had to go out that's and how he got his, 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 his little, little fucked T-Rex up arm. hand. Yeah. yeah. That's how he destroyed his own hand is he wasn't... Really sure what was going on, and it was so funny that in that, even though they're kind, they seem almost omniscient, yeah. like a, as close to there is as in those worlds. Can people be. look up to them like, oh, they know it all. They know They've got all the answers. They trust did. this person. They you really did. You really just have to trust your gut with these two mm-hmm. individuals. And what's funny is that what destroyed Dumbledore's hand was a ring. It was the ring of Slytherin, and it was it was yes. the power of that that fucked his hand up and turned it into a little black like nothing, basically. Yeah. That's eventually what would have ended up killing Dumbledore if. If he had let it happen, but he had this whole thing with Snape, where it was like, please kill me, when the time is right, you'll know. And then you're like, what is going on? Oh my god, everybody hates Snape. It's a big thing, it's a big deal, but you don't find it until much later. And maybe it's the fact that Rowling had a lot greater canvas in which to paint this huge picture. But, I mean, her world is not nearly as involved as as Tolkien's is. She has... A lot. She has less depth than him. Not to not not to rag on her ability to. I think she a, almost hits more more different kind of unique. She things, goes. Though. She kind of branches out further, and Tolkien really focuses you know, on thirty books and a hundred years to. Yeah. Write, well, that's to what's so interesting too yeah. is yeah. that like Rowling. you know J.K. Rowling, which was a huge uh, creative consultant for the film series, but it's like you know she has this whole wide spectrum of this world to work within, but it's a world that she created. So you think about Peter Jackson, and he's exploring his world. In someone else's framework, But it's framework, something, though. yeah, the 30, 30 years. And he's also dead, so good luck. <laughs> right, you know? yeah. Christopher is like the closest Tolkien that you have yeah. to get any sort of, like... He was a kid um, when his dad was dead. Yeah, but I think Tolkien did a good, pretty good job of spelling it out. Like, this is what I have to say. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as Tolkien is a writer... His I mean, sketches, I, his histories, his writing, like, everything. He's got so much to say, and he does a good job of kind of explaining all of it. I'm sure that... He probably could have told us more if he were still alive, but yeah, I mean he he didn't just disappear. Like he he pretty much let everybody know, like this is what Middle Earth is about. Look at all these maps. Look at all these histories. He can spend a whole chapter describing a tree. So if there's something you want to cut, like two hundred pages describing the movement of the ants. Yeah, which I have learned from having read the Two Towers. The Entmoot. The Entmoot. Shit, that takes forever. It takes forever. They have Which, literally hour-long words to say. And you're just like, okay, let's go. Let's go. What happens to Pippin and Mary? Let's go. Yeah. And so you kind of want him to accelerate. but And it's the same victim that J.K. Rowling felt. She she want, you know, she kind of made it wordy, and people were like, well, let's go. What happens? Who dies? What's actually going on? So it's, I feel like it's a really, you can see the struggle of the authors, particularly in Rowling's yeah. sense, because she was writing as the movies were being filmed, like, I want to make this as expensive as I can. I want to make sure that my world is given the sort of Fully recognition out, that sure. it and that it deserves. Yeah. How far the wizarding world penetrates 
the muggle world, how how far these kids have to go to save everybody's lives. And so, and then sometimes it kind of gets a little wordy. And we talked about the Deathly Hallows being a little lengthy in the middle. And I, I would say that, you know, as, as much as I kind of like sped through that, like it's, it's important and it's the same thing as the ends are important because it gives you a solid example of the, the majesty, the importance, the like prevalence, why these particular things, whether it's the ends or the movements of the kids in the last book, like this is so important because this shows you the strife, this shows you the journey. And so in this case, and in the real Lord of the Rings, the, the hobbits actually grow up. And so Pippin and Mary come back to the Shire and they're big. Oh my gosh, they they're big people. Yeah, they... They're like grown adults. And the Which reason makes... that they are is because they were with the Ents for so long. But it makes sense. Ents they were let them other... grow physically. The way that the, the films are laid out. The magic of Hobbiton, which exactly. is another kind of arcane thing that they can't really tell. The way that the films work out, it makes sense they didn't grow up because they probably have to spend more time explaining it. And that just goes back to something we yeah. discussed a couple of times. It's just like when the framework of a film, even if you have people who are hardcore into whatever universe, um, whether it's Harry Potter or whether it's Lord of the Rings, you realize that when it comes to viewing, people only have a set amount of patience. Yeah, you can pick a book up and read a chapter, then put it back down and come you back with movies. To, people usually just sit down, watch a film, and then they're not necessarily done with it. They may come back, but for the most part, people will watch a film in one sitting. I know I can do it in a couple of different sittings if it's long enough, but usually I like to sit down, I like to watch the whole thing, Lord of the yeah. Rings, I, I watched it again on Monday, I sat down, I watched the whole film, even though it's lengthy compared to, like we mentioned earlier, um, most modern films, so that's, that's kind of uh, a strength and weakness of film, it's like, okay... Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, they both have tons of ideas to work with, but it's like, okay, how do we communicate these ideas and make people who haven't read the books understand what's going on right now? In one sitting, especially. Yeah, in one sitting. And who are we really no, trying to accommodate to? Yeah, are, yeah. are, are we, we trying, trying to bring... Convince somebody to read Are we trying Potter to bring novels? people into the universe to read Harry Potter as well as or watch the films? Or are we courting the already existing fans? It's a very, very hard. Yeah, it's a fine... Yeah. Are you making a standalone or are you making a command? It's a fine. It's a very yeah. fine line to tread because you can tell with both films, obviously by the end, that they're setting up sequels, whether yeah. it's with the books in mind or with the films in mind. So that's 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 one thing that where marketing comes in, and that's the really complicated thing when it comes to films that are based on literary works. Uh, there are either sequels, um, sequels that have already been developed, written, published, or there are sequels in the works. We discussed this off of the recording, but we talked about Game of Thrones and about, you know, there being multiple books and they're filming the TV series and uh, Stu has gone at this point, but he was talking about, man, George Martin better write those things or I'm going to travel, I'm going to kick his ass. Did you kill Stu? Yes, I did. Um, he's in my trunk. So. Okay, cool. But we got him with the sting, so it's no big deal. Yeah, so he didn't I would. Know. I Those would, fart sounds are just, uh, that wasn't an actual fart. That was that's something. That's post production. That was, a, that was from the soundboard. Did you really? Okay. In terms of movies like this are either companions or they stand alone, I would completely agree. And I would say that the Lord of the Rings movies are companion to the books. This majesty, this incredible work of film or literature. They, they work together and he stayed very true to the story and he stayed, you know, 
three, the, the fellows of the two towers, the return of the king. He treated them with very, like very much love and very reverence, much almost. Yeah, reverence, absolutely. And then you have with Harry Potter, the films stand alone from the books because you have a lot of people who are fans of the movies and are not of the books, and people who have read the books who hate the movies, who fucking hate the movies. And I get where they're coming from because you've had all these changes and shifts throughout the years. You did keep the same cast, which is awesome, but directors, you know, this, this okay, the screenplay writer, I think the cast is pretty much the only thing that stayed the same. You have directors, different composers, different art directors, so you have different visions changing all throughout, and that's fine because the way that Ben looks at it, which I agree with, is you have a very separate series here from the books, and then on this end you have the books and the movies that are kind of forever tied together. You know, yeah. Elijah Wolf will always be Frodo in people's minds now when they go in to read the books. And that's fine because they did an awesome job at all of that. They did an incredible job casting. They did an incredible job assigning characters. And the, and the actors did a great job portraying them. So now when you see people like Aragorn or Orlando Bloom, well, maybe not so much Orlando, but, but Frodo, people like that, you're like, that's Frodo Baggins. That's yeah. that's Strider. That's Pippin. That's Mary. And I know that when I watch movies, I'm like, look who it is. Yeah. Yay. I get really excited. And it kind of happens in Potter, but there's so many people in Harry Potter that it's like, yeah, well, ten Hogwarts kinda... professors, there's the headmaster, there's the three friends, there's their parents. It really is a who's who of British Yeah, of exactly. British and that's what I was going to say. They did a good job with that, which I love. People, you know, overall, my opinion would be that people need to stop comparing them against each other, whether it's the literature or the books. You have somewhat similar storylines, the growing up, the underdog, the development of into adulthood, and the battle of good versus evil, and, and where love and hope and friendship and brotherhood comes into that. But, the, you know, the two stand alone on their own, and they do a really good job of it. And in terms of movies, Fellowship is a stronger movie. It had a stronger direction sense. It had a more cohesiveness than... than Philosopher's Stone does. They did not have a lot of kid actors, so that helps. The acting is just inherently better. Yeah. Um, but overall, they're both pretty solid movies. You do a great job of introducing you into this very complex, complicated world that you've never been in before. Yeah. That you and, have and never even that to... in, imagined in your past. Like, here are two completely thought of things, and we are introducing you to them. Shit really gets real in two towers, and it really doesn't get real until Harry Potter until like the fourth book. I was gonna say this was a very tough category to get like into just the first introductions into each franchise. Well, that's that's the thing too. You're not just looking at franchises, and we've discussed this before. But with both worlds, you're looking at not just a franchise, but a mythology in and of itself. Whether you're talking about uh, Harry Potter's world exclusively or the Lord of the Rings world exclusively, even though J.K. Rowling's universe isn't as in-depth from her preparation and background, I mean, you still have seven books that became eight films. Yeah. And with uh, this is what I discussed with Stu before he left, but, you know, uh, Tolkien, with his writing with his creation of Middle Earth, he took a scholarly approach to it. We had mentioned it at different points, but, you know, he created complete languages and, you know, he wrote complete history, some of it published, some of it unpublished. So that's another thing to take into consideration whether we're talking about the viewing audience and film and having limited time. It's just that no matter what you think of the films, I think when you're talking about the main driving force behind them, the source material, 
whether you like them or not, obviously the author has spent a lot of time creating these characters, creating these worlds, and I think whether or not I'm a huge fan of Harry Potter, that's irrelevant, just the fact that J.K. Rowling uh, did what she did and got young readers involved, whether it was through, okay, they saw the film and they want to read the books, it was a great thing. So yeah. that's that's what I'm going to say. Um, just as an end remark, it's just I, I think it's great that those two movies came out at the same time, and I think for the most part they kind of had the same result. Whether it was with adult readers, whether it was uh, young adults, maybe even children, is that with both of them, um, with their universes, they created that uh, that emphasis on imagination, going back to books, because before that. There was a certain period of time where she's like, well, what's the next, you know, big thing? There was not a whole lot. And just in, to me, it's like, and not just through film, but the, just an enthusiasm for reading, which in turn fuels, you know, uh, the emphasis on imagination. Yeah. That's, that's, that to me was probably the best thing that came out of either film, regardless of, you know, what our opinions are on Yeah. That. Try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who is 10 years old watching that movie. I've been there. No, I would know. And that's why you feel the way that you do about Harry Potter. is Because you watched it at that age. Very passionately. I was was curious timeline-wise, because I know we said uh, both movies came out in 2001. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Prisoner of Azkaban came out in 1999, and that's actually, it was right after the release of that book. That's when I started reading the books. Anyways, all I know is, um, when I when I found out about Harry Potter, it was actually uh, I was reading a, a two or three page Time magazine spread on mm-hmm. the Harry mm-hmm. Potter world, and it was right after the third book was released. My father in uh, down the hall called from his bedroom. He was watching something on TV. He called me in. It was an interview with J.K. Rowling about the Lord or Harry Potter universe and just kind of. Um, introducing people to that and it was still very uh, little known like it wasn't the big um, kind of beast or behemoth that it became at that point and I remember getting in at that time and just being so incredibly entrenched and I think that reading for me as a child was very important um, I think everybody you know everybody in this podcast has touched on the incredible things that Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter has done um, as far as keeping uh, keeping with the books and things like that one of the things that I want to touch on that I actually thought of when we first started this was as far as education goes um, with the Lord, or Harry Potter, I think that the reading aspect for youth is so much more important with the Harry Potter books because it's it an is targeted, it's targeted as kids, and it is an introductory, but I it's think it teaches kids a lot you're of like things. like 10 when you're reading it. But with linguistic mechanisms, I think you actually learn. There's so much in, Lord, in Harry Potter that is new. There's made-up words. There's made-up concepts. There's made-up... Th- all of this Which stuff. Is usually you're teaching in Latin. kids. It's usually very difficult for kids. Like if you if you just take the concept, you're going to throw not only big words but also new made up words right. to kids. Yeah, you're like, teaching. You, you won't, don't expect yeah. them to be able to adapt to that to you learn have that and understand high that. Expectations of kids reading Harry Potter. It you helped have new them world. gauge you context. Have characters clues, I think, from you have absolutely. I would totally agree with you, yeah. and that kind of sets you up for success in reading more complex adult books like Lord of the Rings because then not only do you have made up words you have like literally made up languages you have and it's just a more extensive look it's kind of it's just a more advanced Harry Potter overall as a reader you have more patience you have more time you have more 
skills as a reader, as a, as a person who is literate, to comprehend what Tolkien has to say and to look beyond just the face value and to look at the themes. Because Harry Potter presents them a little bit more simply. For sure, for you. You can get a little bit You can get a little bit more deep with that, but for the most part, she she presents them pretty pretty obviously. Like this is a battle of good versus evil. There's a lot of free will. There's you know blah blah blah. And and the characters are incredibly relatable because they're all flawed and they're obviously flawed. And in Lord of the Rings, it's a little bit different because it's basically seven heroes on a journey, but they're all very different. They all have they all have flaws. So, well, I, nine I, initially. Nine, nine initially, yet, but, but you know. But yes. Well, I feel like the 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 rating, the Motion the Picture of Association of America, plays a big role in that too, because you, you know die. you watch Harry Potter, and, and in Two Towers, it's eight. So it's, especially the 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 first one with the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone or whatever you want to call it. But um, as far as like violence, gore, suspense, whatever you want to call it, because they can rate movies PG thirteen for suspense or whatever they want to call it. The first Harry Potter um, movie to get a PG-13 rating was The Goblet of Fire. Right. And and I, I, can't, I can't bring up that one. I can't use any examples. Because someone but dies. With the first Harry Potter movie, one of the major reasons that I feel like it's marketed for children, other than the fact that it's PG, because the content is not like super infantile. It's not, you know, it's not babies crawling along. It's not, you know, I mean... They're Relatively just, abusive home that he comes talking. out of. Right, like, right. You know, and then, yeah, and let's talk about how, how incredibly creepy... Especially emotionally, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. That guy, when, uh, you know, Harry Potter walks out and he, like, pushes him back in and kicks the door closed and, like, goes on his way. That could have been way more disturbing. And it's not that Harry Potter is like, oh, it's obviously such a children's film... But, you know, Lord of the Rings gets this PG-13 rating, and it gives them this whole other world of shit that they can, like, get away with as far as, like, the mass-scale battle scenes that, you know, there's not really... There's action in Harry Potter, but Gandalf it's on a very small scale. It still has to be Gandalf. It's very controlled. PG action. Gandalf yeah. being a pothead. Gandalf being a pothead. Gandalf, being, Gandalf getting absorbed by the Balrog, like, you know, I the fire I do have to say, and I hate to say it, and I hate to say it, and we can edit it out if we want. We will. But if you actually do, much, it's much to my personal chagrin. Not that I smoke pot. But it does, if you actually do read into it, um, read some of the preludes, the, the forewords, and actual some of the literature behind Lord of the Rings, they do actually cover what they call in the books the weed and the South Farthing's weed. And it's weird because they actually, they claim that they're talking about tobacco and they give their reasons for the illusions and why they Who's, call it who a says weed. That they, who says it's tobacco? If you actually read some of the forewords. I think it, mm-hmm. they might be written by Christopher Tolkien. I'm not sure. But anyways, so there's, there's, uh, there's some contrast and depending on who you read it for. But then in the movies, they do, like we've alluded to, they do have a reference where uh, Saruman says to Sauron, or to Gandalf, your, your love of the halfling's leaf has dulled your mind or slowed your mind. So that's very, I think, very obviously a cannabis yeah, reference. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, not up to do shit but with tobacco. But if you read, like, they, they, they try and play it off like it's they talking about tobacco as a weed, and, it grow, and so it's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's, it depends on whose side of it you believe, I guess. I think it's, I mean, for an adult, it's pretty obvious that they're all smoking <laughs> pot. Like, really? It's just, I think I it depends on which dance you take. Kids, I mean, like, yeah, it just... This is pretty obvious that they are smoking pot. You know, when they're sitting on the ends, when Mary and Pippin are sitting... 
touching the two towers and they're smoking out of a pipe and they're like, oh, you look happy. And it's like, well, you've been smoking pot on the top of a tree for like three hours. All right, let's walk around the room once and, and sum this shit up. I think the common consensus of today is that Lord of the Rings was the better film of the two, The Fellowship, but that The Sorcerer's Stone has a special nostalgic place. Yeah, that's a great way to sum up uh, those two films. No stark revelation, just great for their own reasons. So we're going to pretty much wrap it up here. Um, just a couple more things real quick. I wanted to throw out a couple more thank yous, as I do occasionally. Mr. Ryan Hildy, you know who you are. Thanks, buddy. Jane and Dan Gallagher. Tom and Terry Malone, I believe you know who you are. Thank you very much. Jim and Cindy Malone, kinship, appreciate it. Matt and Katie Werman, that's just my sister. And my brother-in-law. Thanks, guys. Kelly Stonebach and Zach Maloof. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate everything you've done. Um, And cihelpwanted.com is a great place for job seekers to browse listings, upload resumes, and apply online, making it easier than ever to find a job. Employers who are tired of paying enormous prices to get your jobs posted online... CIHelpWanted.com has listings starting at just $49 a month. And if you can email Tim at CIHelpWanted.com and find out how to get five free listings when you mention Movie Show Theater, and you can try them out for free. And I like to mention Evan Moss. He's a little 10-year-old boy from Alexandria who struggles with tuberous sclerosis complex. And Evan writes books to raise awareness and much-needed funds for medical research to unlock the cure for TSC. So he's dedicating all his funds raised through the sales of this book to the Tuberous Sclerosis Alliance. That's a 501 non-for-profit organization for important research for TSC. The books are also available on Amazon. Uh, And you can help Evan unlock the cure for TSC by purchasing his book. Uh, you can do that at mylifewithtsc.com. And staying consistent with my shameless website promotion, that website is, of course, movieshowtheater.com. You can hear all of our past episodes, which are also available on the iTunes store. Um, you can see information on our upcoming episodes. You can see cast information. Um, Just lots of stuff. So our next episode is going to be To Kill a Mockingbird and everybody's favorite Christmas movie, Crash. This is the episode that my dear sweet mother suggested, and I'm, I'm excited about it. It'll be a good time. So check it out. And as always, thanks for listening, assuming you made it all the way to the end. And we'll see you next time.